Aquilella for history. Aquilella has done it. He has equaled the record, Gabriel Batistuta's record of scoring in 11 consecutive Serie A matches. those lovely notes of Giuseppe Verde mean it's time for another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio, told like it is at the highest of levels. I'm Frank Crivello. Glad you are listening to us yet again. Uh, also glad that you're listening to us yet again, co-host Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. Como stai? Como stai? Como stai? Uh, well, uh, snow is... is uh, yes. Yeah, we're, we're going to get pounded again. And it's cold there, isn't it? It's like below zero or something. It got up to eight today. Oh, that's a heat wave. And yeah, and it, it actually felt nice because um, eight with no wind is actually not terrible. Uh, it's when you get to those single digits and it's windy is just brutal. So, but no, uh, uh, almost a almost a foot of snow on the way here overnight. So my kids' mm. school's already canceled. And then to top it off, Wednesday uh, we've got Wednesday we've got a high of a scorching twelve below uh, to look forward to. So yeah, uh, winters. Uh, winter in its ugliest form here for the next few days. So uh, uh, a message for out all you winter lovers out there. Fuck you. <laughs> so. <laughs> so much for the family-friendly show. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, there you go. I'm, I'm angry. Cold changes you. I just, cold I changes hate, you. I hate this time of year. I hate this time of year. I hate the snow. <laughs> I want to be outside kicking a ball around with my son. Instead, I gotta, you know, I'm watching him at a clinic and a gym. Uh, you know, which is fine. He's doing great. My daughter's even in the clinic too, and she's doing all well that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I want to be outside already. It's just, it's like the, it's consecutive days of being inside and being caged up, and it's just, uh, it's not right that human beings have to endure this kind of suffering. So, um, speaking of suffering, a, a Cleveland sports fan is joining us as a guest. Um, Ouch. Also, a, uh, a sufferer of cold weather. He is a har, har, I never knew how to pronounce this, harbinger of AC Milan wit. Wisdom and Common Sense, football blogger for uh, Fossa de Leone uh, at FBL underscore XV. And he's also a licensed USSF referee. Maybe he can shed some light on these refereeing decisions and seem to go on in Serie A. Uh, and again, everything Cleveland sports uh, also in his wheelhouse. And uh, back with us, I believe, for a second cap on the Serie A sit-down, uh, we say ciao to Michael Lisi. Ciao, Michael. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Doing yeah, well, doing well. I, I, I laid out how I'm doing. <laughs> how are you? How are you? <laughs> it's it's a little bit warmer here, but not much. I think we <laughs> think we hit about 22 or 24 today. Mm. So a little bit better here, but still lots of snow, lots of cold, lots of indoor soccer, as you say. Yeah. <laughs> you so you were you were wearing shorts then, right? Yes, yes, I was. Yeah, <laughs> did some, some refereeing and some watching this weekend, so. Busy weekend for me, and uh, I have two sons, 14 and 16, that both play. So just about every weekend, we're indoors somewhere. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, that'll keep the, uh, that'll keep the schedule busy. And, uh, yeah, with two kids of my own right now, I'm uh, learning the, uh, the, the, when the weekend is loaded with stuff for them, there's not a whole lot of time for you to do much. But I did uh, sneak in enough calcio to be dangerous. Uh, so um, 
headlining this, and boy, there were about, there were maybe three or four games on this uh, on, on match week twenty one uh, that could have qualified for the headliner. But uh, obviously, with the AC Milan guest, uh, we're going to talk Milan Napoli uh, as our headliner fourth against second going in. Uh, you know, Napoli uh, with Carlo Ancelotti's homecoming to the San Siro, his official homecoming. Yes, we know he w- went there for uh, a game at Inter, but uh, this is now with the red and black in the crowd. Um, talk about the atmosphere, Richard, your thoughts on some of the things you see. There was some buildup and some talk in particular, uh, Khalidou Koulibaly's first game from suspension, which, oh, by the way, that happened at Inter, and we all know that everything that fell from that. Uh, just a comment, I thought that, uh, you know, unlike, uh, you know, the Inter ultras and fans, uh, did, from what I saw, the uh, Milan supporters were rather exemplary. Yeah, and then Milan also unveiled this weekend their No to Racism campaign. So that was, uh, with that, coupled with the fans, I thought it was a great atmosphere. I mean, the Curva Sud was magnificent as always. There was a little tribute to uh, Andrei Shevchenko pre-match. Uh, he received a, a nice jersey, a plaque jersey. So uh, it was a very festive mood out there. Uh, you know, it's always a big game against Napoli. And on the top of the table, especially Napoli, they're, they're a fantastic team. Carlo Ancelotti's back. So it was such a huge, a great atmosphere there, and there's no way the crowd was going to disappoint in that one, and they did not. Michael, how did you feel about uh, uh, the uh, the support? It, 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 there's nothing like seeing a packed Curva suit. No, and I think it was great to see that kind of atmosphere, like you said, especially with Ancelotti having his first like official homecoming. I figured it would be a pretty positive environment. I know they said they were going to, you know, welcome Napoli and Koulibaly to town and you know it sounded like they uh did that pretty well no trouble no issues nothing like that yeah absolutely so uh let's get into the formations of this game uh milan uh went into a 4-3-3 donnarumma in goal calabria musacchio romagnoli rodriguez uh were the back four uh the midfield three of kessi pacchioco and lucas paqueta or paqueta depending on how you pronounce it um, and then the front three, uh, Patrick Cutrone, was flanked by Suso and Hakan Chalhanolu. Uh, we'll get to Milan's lineup in a minute. Let's talk Monopoly's lineup first. Uh, Ospina in goal. Uh, the ever-improving Kevin Melqui on the right with Albio and Koulibaly in the middle. Mario Rui on the left. Uh, and uh, a bit of a 4-4-2 look that uh, you wouldn't... Uh, uh, you wouldn't put it past Ancelotti if this was a 4-2-4 because it was Callejon, Ruiz, Zielinski, and Insigne. And you think with Callejon and Insigne pushing further forward with Arkadiusz Milik and Dries Mertens up front. Uh, Richard, when I saw this formation from Napoli, I said, okay, uh, if Milan only give up two, this is an accomplishment. Yeah, that's a lot of firepower on the pitch at one time. And uh, to see those four guys uh, up there at the same time, it's like, Ugh, okay, this could be interesting. But uh, hey. Uh, it went well. Your thoughts, uh, Michael, when you saw Napoli's lineup? Very, very attacking, very aggressive. Uh, Ancelotti seemed to have intent here, didn't he? Yeah, and I was did, – did they ever actually come out and say why exactly Alon didn't play other than the transfer rumor maybe sort of kind of going somewhere? I mean, there was no phantom injury excuse or anything like that. From our understanding, I mean, my understanding was that nothing was done, nothing was agreed, Allen wasn't uh, going anywhere, nothing had happened, and uh, I have to chalk it up to the old adage, Richard, I don't know what you think, Uh, the player was, uh, you know, the old cliche, hey, uh, we've got a player that's a little unsettled. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know, last week we said, 
you know, players in the lineup, something's imminent, right? Maybe that's the case. But, but also, you know, if the player is unsettled, you kind of want to take him out of the lineup to disrupt it, uh, to keep him from disrupting the team, uh, to keep the the locker room intact for a big game as this. You don't want to have any kind of distractions going in. Um, as evident as Milan, you know, benching Iguain last week, and obviously for obvious reason, uh, the the departure that he made. So uh, yeah, that's a good call, I think, uh, by Ancelotti. But we'll see in a matter of hours whether the reason him saying out is because of a transfer or because of something else. And the rumor is that Alan could be off to Paris Saint-Germain for a reported 100 million euros. Uh, that was the uh, latest story that was floated on the table. Um, you know, in a uh, in a gossip column that several months ago. Uh, Sergei Milinkovic Savic, remember when he was uh, being floated out there for 170? Good times, right? Um, Alan's a, Alan at 100 million is a bargain by comparison. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, but we get into this game and uh, rather balanced game. Uh, you know, Kellyon had a, had a chance that uh, uh, Donnarumma palmed away. And, um, you know, through the first half, no goals. And, uh, uh, Michael, uh, thanks to Donnarumma, thanks to Calabria, and thanks to Romagnoli, I think these three guys in particular in the first half were rocks for the Rossoneri. Oh, I agree. I mean, the the, the steps Donnarumma has taken, especially over probably about the last eight weeks or so, I mean, he yeah. has been rock solid week after week after week. Uh, Romagnoli, after his little, what he missed a game or two, I think through injury, has been solid since coming back. Calabria has been excellent. I mean, the back line really, including Donnarumma, there isn't much to complain about there as, as of late. No, not at all. Richard, thoughts on the on the back line and the performance? I thought, you know, I think in the end, as we as we talk through this, we're going to probably chalk up man of the match to uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma. Uh, but uh, shouts to uh, the likes of uh, Calabria and, and Romagnoli in particular. Yeah, really, the back four did a did a tremendous job. Um, you kind of expect it from Romagnoli and Musacchio. Uh, you weren't sure what we were going to see from Calabria, but he brought it in this game, uh, both offensively and defensively, helping out uh, to help bail out his goaltenders at times. Um, the, X, the X factor is always Ricardo Rodriguez because you know what he brings offensively. Defensively, he, he is still missing some stuff, but I thought in this game he was excellent. Above, but in particular, Romagnoli and Calabria I thought were were were, were above and beyond the other two. Um, the other two defenders were with him because... Uh, they, uh, you could tell that they're really, they're really quality. Their qualities really came out in this game. They stepped up to the big limelight. So, Michael, with da- with Andrea Conti back and and lurking, uh, did Davide Calabria look like he was a man playing for his job? Yeah, you know, I was just thinking. I mean, I think the with him back now that there's like some health healthy competition over there, Calabria has stepped up even a little bit more. I mean, Conti hasn't started a game yet. I don't know, you know, exactly why that is yet. I mean, after health, I mean, the guy has been off for, what, most of the last 18 months, so they are taking it slow. But, yeah, I think Calabria is looking over his shoulder, and, and he stepped up. You know, he, has, he, he hasn't been a guy that, you know, sees this other guy and, you know, looks like he's all, you know, morose and bummed out that some other guy all of a sudden is there. I mean, he's stepping up and, and giving it his best shot, and that's really what you like to see. You want to see the, that competition at different spots, which at Milan we haven't had it hardly any spots in the last, you know, five years. Usually we've had to roll out our best 11 and and go with it. And it's nice to see that we now have some competition at some different spots, which means, you know, guys are stepping up a little bit more, which, you know, is only 
only better and better for the long run. What yeah. do you guys think about this? Uh, if if all three are healthy, and the three I mean Conti, Calabria, and Ricardo Rodriguez. In my in my mind, I'd rather see Calabria on the left than Conti on the right than have Ricardo Rodriguez out there, as opposed to well, the other two fight for the for the right back position. What do you guys think? I'm not there. Uh, I think that uh, there there are times where Ricardo Rodriguez is very valuable, and I know where you're getting at. I think that uh, he. You know the the the, uh, the exchanges in the second half. Rodriguez was starting to get a little bit exposed. Um, you know, to some degree, there wasn't a whole lot of help on that on that flank. Um, right. You know, but uh, there are times where Rodriguez. I, I think Rodriguez has improved defensively, but I think that he still does enough to be a liability. Um, you know, when it comes to defending. Uh, but uh, you know, to have a quality left-footed player on that side and be able to provide service, and especially when you're talking about a striker like Piontek, who would love to get service in the air now, he could get service in all sorts of forms and score goal, you know, score goals that way. Um, you know, I'm not quite ready to give up on Ricardo Rodriguez at this point. That's at least how I see it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, you, Michael. Uh, I, I kind of agree too, only because I, I think with Rodriguez on the left side. He tends to hang back a little bit more, which gives maybe a little more freedom for the guy on the right, whether it's Calabria or Conti, to go forward. Maybe if Calabria is on the left and Conti's on the right, both of them take off and neither of them is, you know, as responsible. You know, Rodriguez really tends to kind of hang back and sort of understand his role to sort of help out. And he's kind of had to do that only because our left midfield spot has been so up in the air his entire time there that he's just had to be more of a conservative type player on that side. And it, it seems to kind of work out well. Um, Let's look at the Napoli side, especially with the first half performance, much being made about this aggressive lineup that Ancelotti put out and the names that are obviously going to stand out when you look at a formation like this on paper are Insigne, Milik, Mertens, and Callihan. Michael, the two guys that to me that were worrying the hell out of me, uh, Pietro Zielinski in the middle, who was a Milan killer in their first game at the San Paolo, and Kevin Malqui looked outstanding on the right. Well, you're you're definitely right about Zielinski. That first time we played them, the whole the whole game changed pretty much when he came on the field. Up till that point, we had more or less dominated the entire game. Then uh, then he came in. I think around the same time, Bakayoko made his uh, rather unfortunate debut, but. <laughs> Anytime I see Zelensky on the field, you're right. He is like a Milan killer. It's like I would, I would rather not see him on the field against us. He just seems to find a way to be in the right spot against us time and time again. And really, I mean, Napoli, even without Alon on the field, I mean, they still, I mean, they're going to put four midfielders and two two attackers on the field that are going to scare you all the way across. I mean, it's not like they they even have like a uh, conservative formation to throw at you. They're always going to pour it on. So, how about how about Melqui and his performance? I, you know, he, he, I, I hadn't seen much of him before now because honestly, I watch Milan every week and I try to catch what I can of other games. But you know, it's just uh, Napoli just keeps finding these guys, and and before you know it, I mean, they're they're regulars. You know, that's why you know them them eventually selling Alon and making all the money they can off of that. I mean, it seems to make perfect sense for them. They've just always got another guy to throw in there. Richard, has, uh, has uh, Husai officially been replaced on that right side with Melqui? 
who's who's I? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> exactly. No, I, yeah, his, that position's gone from for Husai. I'm unfortunately for him. Uh, Malqui is playing uh, really rock solid for them, and uh, yeah, he, he's not only contributing offensively but defensively well. You could tell he's he's back. He's coming back and stealing the balls and making good tackles. So uh, unfortunately, that position is now his. Uh, the left back position is uh, going to be up in the air now, but we'll talk. We'll get to that soon. But uh, the right back, I think, is firmly in Malqui's hands now. And he played a big role in to why Napoli were able to take some semblance of control uh, in the second half of this game for about the first 25 uh, to 30 minutes. Uh, the the right-hand side, Napoli's right-hand side, Milan's left-hand side, was open for business for the Partenope. They were creating a lot of attacks on that side. Uh, Rodriguez was struggling. He wasn't having a lot of support, wasn't having a lot of cover. Um, you know, a lot of that had to do with Melqui, had to do with uh, Jose Callejon. Uh you know, in the way they were performing. And I think it had a lot to do with, uh, you know, a, a, a little bit of a lack of performance here from Lucas Paqueta in the beginning part of the second half. I mean, I think, Michael, we can rave about this kid, and there's a lot of qualities that he brings. But, you know, he showed himself well in the Supercopa, showed himself well against Genoa, and now against a team that really likes to attack and put pressure on him. He looked to be chasing shadows a little bit in the second half, and I thought the substitution – well, I questioned it at first with Perini. It ended up being the right one. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Bree sub always brings uh, brings out Catuso's con, con, uh, conservatism. There's no question about that. And yeah, it's going to take Paqueta a little bit of time to to sort out, you know, his his exact role in the midfield. Is he going to attack all the time? Is he going to? There's going to be games that he is going to have to be more defensively responsible that's why you know the midfield going forward especially once Belia gets healthy is going to be interesting to see how to see how they play that and I think he looked drained but when, when he came out of the game he just looked yeah. like he was all spent he, he obviously ran himself crazy you know going back playing defense and going up on the attack so yeah he's got to get better stamina I'm sure he, he's going to have it eventually but it just he ran himself dry and he's got to pace himself better I guess well, he I mean, started pretty much all four games since he got here, right? Yeah, yeah. Both of the Supercopa and now two league games. So, I mean, you know, starting four games, and I don't know, I don't have the calendar in front of me, but I'm guessing like the last fourteen days, sixteen days, something like that. You know, yeah, it, it is going to wear him out a little bit, but 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 over time, he'll be all right. Yeah, I mean, Richard and I questioned Barini coming on. I was at, at the time I was actually texting another friend, and I said, "This is where." This is where it's. This is where you need Diego Luxelt and and have him play on that left hand side and let him play in front of, let him play in front of Rodriguez, you know, and just get some numbers over there on that flank and you know sort everything else after after that. But Catuso went with Borini. He seems to trust Borini a little bit more, uh, you know, than the Uruguayan. But then so we questioned it. But then when you saw the shape, Borini was basically taking on the role that I thought I would have expected out of Luxelt coming into the game in that situation. Uh, so it made sense. It was just a different body that Catuso decided to go with. Um, you know, Napoli here uh, in the second half, I think we're creating some chances. But Milan started coming back the other other way and oh, enter the uh, enter the savior of Milan, right? Oh, That's right. Here comes Piantic, and uh, he looks faster in red and black, doesn't he, Richard? Yeah, he does. He looks bigger <laughs> and faster. I'm like, oh, this guy's bigger than I remembered. I didn't think too much of that. I didn't think, much, think too much of that guy at Genoa, but he's looking the part at Milan all of a sudden, Michael. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting when I was when I was you know doing all the reading about the transfer. I was actually really surprised to see that he's only listed at I think six foot even. Well, wow, he looks it, like six three out there. He plays taller than that. Yeah, it looks like he. I, I was shocked to see that. That's. I mean, I'm five eight, so six foot's tall. But I mean, he looks to be <laughs> somebody that's that plays like he's six two or six three. I was you know surprised to see that, but yeah, he definitely has a presence up top that we've so rarely seen you know the last i don't know five or six years it's all kind of a blur between the menezes and bacas of the world but it is nice to see somebody with some some stature and some presence up top like that yeah for sure uh so he comes on for uh, patrick cutrone uh noteworthy substitution that i ended up happening to catch after the game i didn't see this in the flow of the game uh uh ancelotti elects to bring off mario rui for uh, Fauzi Gulam and uh, Mario Rui particularly didn't like it. Part- yeah. wasn't particularly respectful to Carlo Ancelotti, and you know, you want to end your career. Uh, that's a good way to do it, Mario Rui. Would you agree with that? You did see that clip? Yeah, and it's uh, it's unfortunate because maybe he was caught up in the moment. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Sure, but you don't do that. I mean, obviously, Fauzi Gulam is a pr- the the. They'd rather have him in the game than than when he's not because he's obviously brings so much to the game. And Mario, we should know this already. Yes, he's been playing well in his absence, but Fazi Gulam's always going to be the one preferred guy. So when you know he gets on the pitch, it shouldn't be any surprise. And you're going to disrespect your manager like that? That's that's uncalled for. Uh, we'll see if anything comes from that. I mean, hopefully not um, for his sake. But I mean, that you could end your career very quickly just doing that, upstaging uh, an upper echelon manager like like Ancelotti. But Michael, uh, Michael, if uh, oh, go ahead, Frank. I'm sorry. You know, if there's anyone, I mean, for for for, I mean, you're talking about a world class manager who's gone out and won everything in Carlo Ancelotti, but also a man who played at the highest of levels, you know, and won everything as a player too, especially at Milan under Rodrigo Saki. So if anyone, as a you know, if anyone's going to understand a player being frustrated being subbed, it's a man manager like Ancelotti, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, and he's also the kind of guy that. I mean, he's constantly rotating, constantly moving guys in and out. And he's also the the kind of guy that you've never really heard about any sort of like locker room issues or seen that kind of stuff on the sideline with. I mean, it's almost a wonder that within about six hours of the end of the game that there wasn't, you know, some transfer rumor, you know, obviously probably completely made up of Rui going somewhere because you just don't see that kind of thing with, with like you said, a guy with the the stature of Ancelotti, that kind of thing just doesn't happen. And, you know, I mean, like I said, he, he also, he moves his guys around, you know, he's constantly rotating in and out. He's not the kind of guy that's going to leave just 11 out there for 90 minutes and play the same 11 every week. He's going to look for a change to, you know, mix things up towards the end of the game to try to get a late goal. So. Uh, let me read Dries Meriton's statistics uh, from this game. Uh, he was subbed out at the 80th minute, uh, one shot blocked, Eight crosses with one accurate uh, and one interception, uh, and that's about it. Uh, Michael, uh, you, when you're playing Napoli, and that's what Dries Mertens brings to the table in a game, you take that all day long, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, to see those kind of numbers for that kind of player against us, yeah, you're real happy because, you know, he was another one in that game. I think earlier in the year, did they start with Milik and brought in Mertens late? And I think it was him and Zelensky that really kind of, 
you know, caused us all sorts of trouble late in that game. And he's the kind of guy that moves all over the place. He's not a static guy up top. So to see that he, you know, got almost no touches like that, no crosses, anything like that, definitely a happy camper. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, all right. And then uh, we do need to comment on an incident that happened toward the end of the match. Uh, Fabian Ruiz got a yellow card in the 18th minute for a handball. Uh, and then uh, as Milan were trying to counterattack, there was a what appeared to be, according to the referee, an apparent handball again by Ruiz to stop a counterattack. The referee shows him a second yellow and sends him off. Replays show that that was a very rash and very harsh decision by the referee. You know, Richard, I'll get your opinion on, on this. I, I think I know what it is, but I want to talk to Mike. I want to ask Michael this as a referee, um, as a USSF licensed referee. <laughs> I mean, do things just, with referees sometimes, do things just happen too fast for them that they see it, they see it and interpret it that way and that's just what they're going to go with and they're going to they're gonna go with their gut or is this, you know, or was this just a blatantly bad call? I, I think if it's something that happened, if that kind of thing happens in the midfield just in the regular run of play, it's probably no big deal. But since it happens on a counter, his immediate reaction is that it's basically what you'd call like a professional foul to stop a counter. Like lots of times, you know, you'll see a tackle to stop a counter, you know, the guy will get a yellow and maybe it's the kind of case that, you know, the ref called it, went to his pocket and maybe didn't even realize right away that automatically it was the second yellow. I don't, I don't remember the circumstances of the first one, but the one, you know, lots of times in the, in the balance of a counterattack, you're going to give that yellow, whether it's a professional foul or whether it's a borderline hand, because you're going to, you're going to assume there's a little more intent there than usual. Sure. I know handball is always, you know, a very, ugh. we had the one with us was a DeShio had the, the handball a few years ago against the bot in the box against Juve, which I absolutely hated. Mm-hmm. There was no intent whatsoever. You know, to me, it's it's one one is whether it's intent, and the other is whether your you know the arm is in a natural position. Like my favorite example of that is Boateng in the uh, in the Euros, the one year we had his hand straight up in the air for Germany. I mean, that's an obvious one. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's tough. Like I said, with, on on the counter, you almost have to give that yellow. And like you're saying, Frank, it's like you know you, you you're in the moment, and before you know it, you're you're pulling it out, and you're like, whether you like it or not, that's the second yellow. And are you he's are you fine go. with are you fine with a second yellow with where his arms were in relationship to his body? That's what's tough. I mean, he's got his arm along his side, but he also seems to be kind of pulling it in where he's trying to like, you know, cradle or control the ball in a way. Where in that case, you know, if your arm's next to your body. You're still using your arm to, you know, uh, control the path of the ball. So, handball, yes. Yellow, I don't know. That's tough. That's a tough call. There's no doubt about that. That's a tough one. And I think Richard and I both agreed that that second yellow was harsh. Richard, you still yeah. feel that way? Um, I'm not convinced my words. They were Uvid. <laughs> 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 I thought that was an extremely, extremely harsh call. Uh, yeah. I, I agree with everything Michael is saying, uh, but still, it seems it's like. Uh, I mean, I don't know what the, what the intent of the referee was, obviously, but it, 
we, when we hear when we know the rule as you know your arms are by your body and it shouldn't really most of the times it should not be called and this is instant it shouldn't be called referee should have had some discretion and be like give him a warning or something like hey you do something one more time i'll give you another yellow but that was way too harsh man that was that was unexcusable and it could have really really hurt Napoli in that sense, and they could have uh, ended up losing the game because of that call. Luckily, it didn't for them, but uh, it was a it was a terrible call in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I I I have to agree. I I kind of found that to be once I saw the replay, I found that to be just okay. This is weird. And then yeah, I kind of thought the conspiracy thing too. At the same time, especially I Digby tweeted I think something like uh, referees are not biased just in Serie A. They're just playing incompetent. I think I retweeted it saying. Retweeted him saying, saying, you don't have to play Juve to get Juve. And the point here is, as I think that Lega Calcio will go out of their way to get Juventus to wrap this thing up so quick so that they can focus on winning the Champions League and bringing a Champions League home to Italy. I just feel like that that's going on. Isn't that why uh, Ronaldo got a penalty today from yesterday? <laughs> from the day well, <laughs> we're going to talk about that a little, in a little bit, and I'll, 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 I'll tell you that uh, watching the replays over and over again, that was... That was a penalty. <laughs> so, uh, you know, unfortunately, as much as we want to say, oh, here we go again, you, you go back and you look at the replays and say, yeah, I could see a referee calling that. But, yeah, we can talk about that here in a little bit. But um, let's, uh, you know, talk uh, Milan and Napoli. Uh, you, know, you know, as far as man of the match, uh, you could flip a coin between the two goalkeepers, couldn't you, Michael? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely, you know, to keep, to keep a clean sheet against Napoli for us, it's like – yeah, you have to give it to the goalkeeper and maybe you give like half of that award, you know, to Romagnoli, you know, our center back. But but same on the other end. It's tough in a, you know, a scoreless game not to look at both keepers and 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 realize that they obviously played very well. Yep. Yeah. And uh, Richard, your thoughts, uh, the goalkeepers maybe share the man of the match honors in this one or, or uh, do you want to go in a different direction? No, I think uh, I think the goalkeepers should share the award because uh, Donnarumma certainly made a lot of saves. He's what this is what his fifth sh- shutout in like eight games or something like that. So um, he did. He had some big saves. Zelensky had some big opportunities in the game that that he got. Luckily, that most of them were to him, but he made saves nonetheless. And then Ospina ruining Piantic's debut. He could have gotten an assist on 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 Muzaki's shot. Muzaki should have done better, obviously. But I mean, a goal line save with a palm, barely getting that. That was a brilliant save. He made saves all game long. So. Uh, I think the goalies should, should share the spoils. Yeah, I uh, certainly uh, certainly feel the same way. I can I could I could share it with the uh, goalkeepers as well. I'll give some honorable mentions. I thought Peter Zelinski was excellent in this game. That's why I kept yeah. talking about him. Um, and I thought uh, I thought this might have been uh, Davide Calabria's best Milan performance. Um, struggling mm-hmm. to find some other ones. I know that the, probably the win at Roma last year where he scored. Uh, is up there, but uh, this is one of the better ones that Calabria has had in his young career too. So, um, Frank, what would you make of Kessie's miss? That one that he should have scored a goal. On, uh, I mean, yes, it was a lot of pressure, but he should have scored that goal. And it was like the seventieth minute or something crazy. Um, it was a little earlier than that. Um, Maybe it was. Yeah, but, the second half. Yeah. I know that, but and, and that's going to be actually my next question um, about it was going to be about Kessie. But you know, I, I, I think if. You, if that's a Suzo in that situation, that's probably a goal because his touches are going to be a little bit quicker than what you would probably expect from Kessie. You know, that's one of those where it's right foot to left foot bang and you got to do it quick enough before the defenders can get to it. You know, but just Kessie doesn't have that to its game. 
My problem was the one in stoppage time where he got the ball in the penalty area and he could have turned and finished, and instead he passed off the responsibility yeah. to Suzo uh, on the flank and had him try to do a cross. Um, I don't know in that instance if nobody – I mean, you teach youth soccer, you tell a player, if he doesn't have a defender behind him, you tell him to turn. And if just nobody told him to turn or if Kess- and Kessie just assumed Koulibaly was lurking and right behind him that, hey, I'm going to pass this off because he was – in Koulibaly's area when he got it. but Koulibaly's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and that's just it. You know, I mean, and by the time Kessie did turn with the ball, Koulibaly's in back with a way. But, uh, you know, I, I, you know, that that one I have a harder time with than the other one. I, you know, a, a player like Kessie, that's a little harder for him to do. If it was a player like Suso, I would be all over him for not being able to bag that. Um, that's kind of the difference there. But let's talk about Frank Kessie here. You know, Michael... Are, are the Milan Twitter fans are the Milan Twitter being a little hard on this guy? I think so. I mean, it's like all of, it's like every game or every couple of weeks we gotta identify you know a new guy that you know all of a sudden is you know terrible and and we got to get rid of him and such on and so forth. I mean, granted, he doesn't have you know the best first touch in the world, he, especially in the box. In the box, he always seems to take one or even two extra touches and then just launch a ball into like the 40. <laughs> right. You know, it's like the, the other 60 yards of the field, he's fine. He's cool. He's calm, you know, no big deal. And he just seems to find himself in those spots. Like in the, uh, the, uh, the game the game against Juve, the super game, we had the breakaway where he's got Paqueta and I can't remember who else on the left. And he just doesn't see either of them. Takes like two or three extra touches, and before he knows, before you know it, he's just lost the ball. The you technique know? and the tech, the tech, the the technique and the reading of the game isn't there with him. But he's twenty one, exactly. And he has got so much natural talent to him. I don't want to see Milan let this guy go, um, just because a bunch of fans oh. are pissed off. Um, you know, so I, you know, let this kid grow. These are learning moments. That's the other thing. we got to remember, these are some very young players at Milan still trot out there, which brings me to my next point, Richard. And, and you and I talked about this yesterday after the game. I found this to be a grow-up game for Milan. I found this to be a growth game for Milan. Okay, they did not get three points against Napoli, but they played one of the best teams in Italy and played them evenly, in my opinion. I mean, even, even if you look at the statistics from this game, they played them evenly. Okay, that to me shows growth. And now the next step is figuring out how to win a game like that, which I think this crop of players are pretty close to doing. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Uh, in the past, in a situation like this, Milan would find a way to somehow let up a goal late in the game. They did not do that in this game. They they stood tight. The defense, and all credit to defense, I mean, give all credit to Gattuso, the way they planned. Defensively, they were pretty stout. There were some opportunities here and there. But ultimately, no goals allowed, right? And then on the other end, they had their opportunities. Ospina just played great. So, I mean, 0-0 against Napoli, That's everyone's thinking that Napoli's going to score in a game, undoubtedly. The question is, would Milan score? Well, Milan kept them from scoring. That's How many teams can say they did that against Napoli? So they got this is definitely a grow-up game. I think this team can find a way to win if they can get Piantic and, and Cutroni on the same page. I think they can start scoring. We saw what Piontek did in his little bit of time there, so that might be the missing piece they were looking for. But defensively, this was an ex- excellent, excellent team game. Um, Donnarumma, again, coming big. This is a, certainly a game that's going to take them 
forward going, you know, as as we go on, as, as opposed to taking it back. This is definitely a grow up game for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I think the the two Napoli games during this year definitely show what you guys are saying, the maturity. You know, the first game, we spent it all in 60 minutes. And yeah. It, you know what? After 60 minutes, we, 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 we were happy for that game to end. Like, can we get <laughs> please? And then that last 30 minutes was just like this nightmare of trying to get to the end of the game. Like, could maybe we pull out a 2-1 win? No. Could we maybe finish with a 2-2 draw? No. We ended up losing 3-2. So this game, you know, you're able to spread that energy over a whole game. Yeah, you didn't score, but like you were saying, Richard, they held Napoli to zero. I, I mean, I don't have it in front of me how many times Napoli has come home without scoring a goal in the league this year, but it, it can't be very many. I don't know, no. two or three, something like that. I mean, you, you held them to zero. Granted, it was at home. Okay, but still. I mean, I think, you know, those two games are kind of a microcosm of of where the season has gone so far. It's been been baby steps, but it's getting it's getting better. Yep. Agreed. Uh, agree on all fronts. You know, and for Napoli, um, I, I don't think there's any shame in this. You go you go on the road and you play a team that's starting to play a lot better. I mean, when you take a look at Milan collectively over the last couple of weeks, you know, the Copa win at Sampdoria. Uh, the Supercopa near miss against Juve, the win at Genoa, you know, and then this game here, this is a Milan team that's all of a sudden become very difficult to break down. I mean, over those four games, and you look at how Sampdoria is scoring on everybody else, um, to Milan have given up one goal, in, and it was in the Supercopa, and you could argue that Ronaldo was offside uh, on that goal, um, you know, over those four games. I don't think that Napoli can really take a whole lot of negatives from this. They're they're running into a team that's starting to find some form, Rich. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, nothing wrong in getting a draw in a situation like this. Sure, they had their opportunities. The one thing they could say is they had they had missed opportunities that they could have capitalized on, but they didn't give up too much uh, defensively as well. They were they were pretty stout themselves. I mean, Koulibaly was doing Koulibaly things, and Albiol was excellent as well. And uh, the, the the wing backs were also helping out. So. This is a good performance by Napoli. They shut out another top four team. Um, you got that. You got. You got to take. Be proud about that. And then you know you did very well. You had most of the possession as you do in most of the games. Um, this is a, this is a good game for for Napoli. I mean, like you said, Milan were were playing much much better as of late. So you know this is always going to be a tough game, and they they did it very well. And they like I said, they could have easily won this game. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But it ends nil nil. Let's see if Milan can grow from this. Let's see if Napoli. Uh, you know, can lick their uh, can lick their wounds and move on. Um, but uh, what a game! And for anybody out there on Twitter or Instagram, want to give their thoughts on what they saw go down in this game, please do so at Syria. Sit down. Richard's going to give us uh, a, re- a breakdown of what happened in the undercard. You say undercard, but uh, it's a hell of an under. It's a hell of an undercard. (laughs) Undercards of undercards here. Uh, Yeah. Game. This is the first game uh, between Roma and Atalanta. Man, if you miss this game, I feel sorry for you. This game was at Bergamo, so you know Atalanta coming into this was a hot team. Duvan Zapata scoring million goals in the last couple weeks. Roma, they've been up and down. You know they won last week, but this game was going to be interesting because you know both teams are now. European playoff teams. Atalanta trying to become a Champions League team, uh, as is Roma. Roma, you know, sitting just a couple points behind Milan. They knew if they won, they could surpass them and jump into the fourth spot. Where a month ago, people were were running this team away. So 
This game started pretty interesting. Um, their their talisman, Edin Dzeko, hasn't scored in ages. Uh, but it only took him three minutes in this one. He scored a goal right away. Uh, breaks his duck. Uh, Roma up early on the road. Uh, they continue to play really well. Edin Dzeko ends up getting the second goal in the 33rd minute. And, you know, just for added spice, uh, Nicolo Zaniolo, who's been a, a, a tremendous player this year. What a youngster. What a find for Roma. He has a beautiful assist, assist to Stefan El Sharawi. He finishes right in front of the goal. Cool cool and calm at the 40th minute. It's 3 nothing Roma. They're cruising, right, Frank? You can say this with Roma, right? They're cruising. You never, oh. you know, you never, no, 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 no. There are certain teams that, <laughs> certain teams in certain situations that nothing's ever sacred. And even at, because, you know, and I watched this game and I watched this first half. Atalanta were all over Roma. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, the, uh, the second goal, um, some very, very, po- I mean, Rafael Toloi was having a nightmare in this game defensively. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, Jekko curled away from him with ease to get open and get that pass and then just, uh, and then beat the goalkeeper and finish. I mean, it was it was schoolboy defending, and it was just you know schoolboy defending of the highest order. And then that back three altogether were just shocking uh, on the uh, on the third goal for El Sharawi. Uh, but uh, honorable mention to uh, the kid getting at it again, Zaniolo, yeah. two assists there. The uh, the clever chest down for Jekyll's first, um, and then uh, and then playing the ball across for El Sharawi to get the third goal. I know, absolutely. The kids are playing lights out for them, not only scoring goals, but also getting assists. And so Roma are up 3 nothing, and, and Atalanta knew if they can just get a goal before halftime, they could really make this interesting, put Roma on their heels. And, and that they did to Timothy Castagna. He gets a goal right at just before halftime, cuts it back to 3 1 with a nice, uh, with a nice goal. Um, so 3 1 going into halftime, you know, everyone knows Atalanta is pouring on the pressure. They're going to keep coming. They had tons of shots in this game. Uh, so they started out the second half um, just as hot as they were in the first half. Uh, they would get a goal in the 59th minute. Uh, Rafael Taloy, a guy who had a nightmare of a first half, making amends a little bit, scoring a goal, uh, get his team within one goal. Um, Atalanta would continue going on. Uh, they would get a penalty in the 70th minute. Uh, Frank, was this a penalty for you? Uh, mind, forget about what, what happened with the shot, but was this a penalty for you? Uh, I thought it was. Um, I think they got that. I think they got that right. And they went to VAR review on it, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have a. I don't. I didn't have a problem with it. Well, Zapata would step up, uh, and he should make this right. Uh, no, he shoots it in the in the upper deck. Why? I don't know. But <laughs> he misses the easy penalty. Uh, easy for me to say, right? Um, so not even a minute later, Frank uh, and, and Michael. He comes back down the pitch. He scores a goal. Uh, nice deflection. I don't know. Nice. The defender probably didn't think so, but it was a deflection off the defender. It goes in the back of the net. Olsen having a nightmare of a game at this point. I mean, he's just giving up things left and right. Uh, it's 3-3. But, Michael, you know, you've, you've, ref, you've ref games. You've you played in games. What kind of what does it say about a player who can miss a shot like that, like Duvan Zapata did, and then come back not even less than a minute later and, and, and score a goal? It's got to be It's got to be a boost to his confidence. Uh, I, Which is already sky high. Yeah, I mean, I, when when you're a striker, I mean, you've almost got to be, you know, like like a quarterback in football. I mean, if you throw an interception, so what? You're going to start the next drive, and you're going to go right back at it. And the stri- a striker has to have that same exact mentality. I mean, because you're gonna you're gonna miss more often than you're gonna score. 
So you've just got to be, you know, heart of mind enough to go right back out there and just keep going. And that guy, I mean, his confidence couldn't be more sky high at this point. A miss to him is because mm-hmm. he just has all the confidence in the world that he's going to come right back and score again. And that's that's what's really, I think, you know, the most interesting thing to see in that guy is just like you said, he skied one, he just came right back and scored again. Yeah, and he scores his 15th goal of the season. Uh, I thought they kept trying to score more, and they couldn't, though. It was, the game would end at 3-3. Frank, you, you kind of mentioned in the first half, but also, I mean, throughout the game, Atalanta boss possession 62% to 38%. I mean, if you just look at the shots alone, they doubled the shots that Roma had. and um, Almost tripled. Yeah, yeah. And 20, so, 23 to 8. Um, so what do you take from this? I mean, because, like, it's it's a it's a it's a positive and a negative. Negative is you give up three goals and, and a half, but you you were able to come back from it as well. And it's not the first time this happened between these two early in the season. The same thing happened. So um, how do how do, how does each team react for something like this? Um, with Atalanta. You know, I think if if Atalanta, I mean, I think Atalanta just made a lot of did a lot of uncharacteristic things defensively at home. Um, I think they gave away a lot of space in the midfield. Um, I think they were a little too accommodating for Zaniolo. And, I mean, and, and Zaniolo obviously came through and made a couple of nice assists. Um, and I thought Jekyll had way too much room in the first half. Uh, it, it, appeared to, it, it appeared that they corrected those things in the second half. Um, you know, like I said, I thought Toloi was a disaster. Uh, Gianluca Mancini in particular. This is probably his worst game for Atalanta. Um, and got subbed off, and rightfully so. Um, trying to remember who he got subbed off for. I'm actually going to look that up right now. It was uh, Palomino, so it was just a like for like. Um, it wasn't that uh, Gasparini wanted to go to four in the back. He just said, "All right, I'm going to bring on another. I'm going to bring on another central defender. I'm going to bring on somebody that's going to perform better than Mancini because he's he's getting lost, and he was the one that was losing Zaniolo early and often. So. Um, so I think they were very generous in the space that they afforded Roma when they didn't have the ball uh, and, and gave them some easy chances. But then when they had the ball, I mean, Papu Gomez was just absolutely dealing in this game, yeah, as he always seems to do. Um, Ilicic, too. Yeah, Ilicic was terrific. I mean, that, that, that three-man attack is as deadly and as nasty as you can find in this league. And, um, you know, it's just it's down to the guys behind them, uh, you know, if they can step up and perform. And I think that they – had a little bit of a hiccup here today and uh, they were able to rebound nicely because Roma from a personality standpoint, this is, we've, we've seen this with Roma plenty of times and they've gone and done it again. Uh, They can't hold a big lead. They, they, uh, they fall apart. They have just enough disorganization to them where you can pounce on them. And it happened again. Michael, if you're a Roma fan, at what point do you, while you love all the goals that you score, at what point do you get sick of the goals that you give up against? I mean, this, and blow leads like they do. This is not the first time they've done that. It's the second time this season they did with Atalanta. Last week they had the same same situation, though they got a, a goal at the end. Uh, at what point does, does the, the fan base just break? I just, <clears throat> I would imagine if you're uh, Mr. Solano, you're you're ready to get off the roller coaster at this point. Well, you saw his comments about Olsen during the game. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, just from week to week, it's up and down and up and down. I mean, you might be able to get away with that against Bologna or some of the lower teams, but, you know, against Atalanta, whose, you know, confidence is sky high, 
you just can't you just can't do that. But they're just you know Roma in the back that just don't have the uh, the confidence and like you said the organization to to slow anybody down anymore. Yeah, it's like these two teams and Sampdoria. Can we just have the three of them play each other every week? Get <laughs> these one, oh, four, be beautiful. three, five, four, six, four, five, two kind of games. I mean, yeah. As a neutral, man, it's entertaining. But <laughs> I don't know that my heart would be able to take being a <laughs> these teams watching them every week. <laughs> so, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but uh, it was uh, Atalanta and Roma was just about everything I thought I thought it would be. I thought there'd be a lot of goals. I thought it would be very competitive. Yep. I just didn't think the sequence of goals would fall the way it did. So. And I think I think before the game, Frankie, just before the game came on, you were like, "Up, oh, giddy up! Here comes Roma Atalanta," and they did not disappoint. Yep. Um, so the first undercard was was a thriller. The second one was as well, but not to the extent of scoring wise. Uh, it was just a it was just an intense game, and that game was at the Olimpico in Roma, Lazio hosting Juventus. This season, we've we we know Lazio. They they seem to always struggle against the top six. They've only had one point. The one point came against Milan. Um, they just didn't have doesn't have, don't have it in them this year. Uh, last year they had the the great win at the J, uh, but this year it doesn't seem like they're uh, interested against this top six. They can't do it for whatever reason. And this game would be much of the same of that. Um, the, the first half was pretty impressive, I thought. Frank uh, by Lazio, uh, they 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 were taking it to Roma. All the bounces, I mean to Roma to Juventus. Uh, all the bounces were going Lazio's ways. The only thing missing were goals. But I thought they pretty much dominated the first half. Yeah, I give a lot of credit to Lazio here. I thought they were outstanding uh, in the first half in this game. Um, you know, I, I thought that Luis Alberto uh, showed, showed, up. showed some influence in this game. Um, I thought uh, Sergei was decent. Um, I think he, you know, he's not a 170 million euro midfielder. I think we've already established that on this podcast. You know, but he went about his business quietly in this game. You know, he didn't do anything flashy, but he was there. Uh, a guy, the guy for me that I thought was just was really giving Juve fits was Joaquin Correa. Yeah, yeah, he had a, he had a really good game in this one. Uh, uh, he was everywhere getting shots. I, I would like to see him get more shots off in the second half, but uh, he was everywhere, and it's good to see him uh, enjoying playing with with uh, with Luis Alberto and and Immobile and stuff because uh, he could be a really special find for them. Agreed. Definitely agree. Definitely agree with that. And uh, I mean, the game was played in Juventus's third of the pitch for just about the entire first half. I was just—it was shocking yeah. the way was, Juve was, performed. Uh, and I was—I was watching Juve Twitter out there, and it seemed like they were saying this is like the worst game they played all year, and they couldn't understand what was going on. The world was falling on their heads, you know. But um, yeah, no, Lazio. All credit to them. They were really taking it to Juventus, and you know, going into halftime, you wonder if they lose some of that muster. But no, they kept coming at it in the second half. Uh, you knew the goal was coming. You just didn't know when it was going to come. They kept pushing. Luis Alberto, I thought in particular, was uh, really impressive. Michael, it seems like if if they can, if, if Lazio can get Luis Alberto to play in a consistent basis like he did last year, this team can do very well. But it's it's inconsistency with him and the whole team, really. But uh, Luis Alberto in particular, they need someone who can pull the strings. I mean, um, when he was doing his his uh, doing his job last year, he was just making Lazio click. They were scoring goals for fun, but it's obvious when he's not performing, the team struggles. Absolutely. And well, they're also, last year it seemed like they always got the timely goal from either Sergei or from Immobile. And yep. 
this year that's just not happening. You know, the the two one wins from them last year are turning into either one one draws or one nothing losses. They're just not, you know, quite getting that goal when they need it. Unfortunately, they did against us right at the end, what, like the 92nd <laughs> or 93rd minute. But, uh, but yeah, they just can't quite seem to, to get that goal to get the points they need against the top six. It's just, it's just not happening this season. Well, Lazio's pressure eventually paid off uh, off a corner kick. It's an own goal by Emery Chan. Originally uh, thought one of the Lazio players got it, like Parola or something, but it was an own goal by Emery Chan, Frank. And uh, one nothing. a lot of people, you know, including me, thinking, you know, finally they get a goal. They need to keep it up, though. Um, I even tweeted out and said, you know, keep capitalizing on your chances because you need another goal, otherwise you were going to make you pay. And um, But what a way to – that's got to be happy for them that they scored, you know, that, that own goal. Oh, I guess Chan scored the own goal. I, I, I was amused. I, I actually went to Twitter and said, I think the Lazio players all looked shocked that they scored yeah, yeah, on Juventus because yeah. they just the ball went in and they all looked at each other and they just started jumping. Um, it was an Emory <laughs> – it was just weird how they celebrated it. Um, uh, is an Emery Chan own goal in the end, uh, which was correct. Nobody, I mean, I think, uh, Parolo headed it and then it hit, hit Sergey on the left side of his ass and then it hit Chan and then it went in. I think that's kind of how it went. <laughs> they, they, it counts just the same as the, uh, Qualirella goal against Napoli. So, um, yeah. that's the, that's the real shame of it. But, <laughs> but anyway. Um, yeah, they just—they I, I, were all in shock that they scored and had the lead. Uh, it was just—it was kind of amusing to see them see, see how they celebrated. Yeah, and you knew uh, Allegri would react, and he did immediately. He took off Blasma to Uidi, brought in Federico Benedeschi. Uh But you know, the, the game was still going Lazio's way. They were getting lots of opportunities, missing glorious chances. Speaking of chances, Immobile with his bread and butter play right in front of the doorstep of Wojciech Chesney, and he misses somehow. Michael, it seems in football, the football gods have a way to make you pay for mistakes like that. When you when you get a golden opportunity and you miss, it, it inevitably goes the other way and, and gets a goal. Um, it seemed, while it didn't happen instantaneously, um, Juve would get that goal. You know, Jao Cancelo, who who by the way is a magician in today in the, today's game, mm-hmm. he came in. He came in. He made, he made Immobile and Lazio pay for the mistake he missed. Well, that's the thing against, you know, if you, if you told any team before playing Juve, you were going to get an own goal, you were going to like your chances of how that game was going to end up, whether either, you know, getting a draw or getting the win, because, you know, the, the, the list of times that Juve has uh, scored an own goal, I'm sure, is is quite short. And like you say, I mean, the, 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 the reaction and celebration, I'm sure, was kind of hilarious, because not only is it an own goal, but you got an own goal against Juve. I mean, that's like... Yeah once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing that <laughs> does not happen to them. I mean, you would have thought that was your day, but then, like you said, then the football gods pop up later and, you know, your your, your talisman and your, your leading scorer misses right on the doorstep. And, hey, sometimes that's just the way it goes. Frank, uh, in particular, Jao Cancelo, when he came on, I thought the game changed at that point. Um, I, 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 almost, I literally tweeted out a minute before the goal happened, right before he came on. I was like, if they don't, if they don't, you know, capitalize on opportunities, you know, you're going to come back and make them bite. And Cancelo, he just he played he played a little bit more attacking than he normally would, but man, he was everywhere in that game once he came on. Well, I mean, there was nowhere for Juve to go but up after that substitution. Right. Douglas Costa right. was brutal. 
I mean, I mean, this is the I, I've watched a lot of Douglas Costa games over the last few years. This is that was the worst I've ever seen Douglas Costa play. Um, I mean, just no involvement and almost no interest in the game. Just the way is the way he played. Something was up with him. Um, but no, Joao Cancelo came on, and it was the it was the appropriate chord to strike. You give you give uh, Juve some you know some higher width with him. You can tell Dechilio can stay home. You know, and doesn't have to, thankfully, as former, as Milan fans and had to endure him trying to go up that flank, <laughs> you know, through the years, you know, stay back and just stay back here and try to defend a little bit. We don't want you going forward trying any crosses. You know, we got a guy in front of you that can do that now. So, and that's and that's how it worked. And Cancelo got, went ahead and, uh, you know, and, and had a real influence on this game. Michael, is there any other team in the league that when they go down a goal, they become that much more dangerous i think juventus whenever they give up a goal it's like they turn it up to like their full potential and they start playing but much much better it's like they need something to wake them up before they start playing well and the thing is with you know with allegri he can turn around and look at the bench and if like costa's having a bad day oh i have Cancelo. okay you must know, be nice right but he also is having a bad day oh well here's this bernadeschi fellow that we paid however much money for what like 40 million to get from fiorentina i mean it, he, he always looks good, like he's always making the right decision, which more often than not he does. But I mean, when you've got you know a bench with a laundry list of guys like that over there, I mean, you you can make changes that, uh, like you you were saying, Richard, they they take immediate effect. As soon as one of those guys comes on the field, you know something's going to happen. Costa, a lot of times, is that guy. You know, right. I mean, they've done that to us a few times where he just came on the field and. You know, there's been a couple times poor Ricardo Rodriguez probably had nightmares at night, you know, with those two guys coming at him. So, I mean, it's just, you know, an endless amount of guys that they can bring on. And, yeah, when they're down one nothing, you know, they're not worried. Bring in two or three guys, and before you know it, they're, you know, they're right up at you. Now, there's a moment, well, everyone who's not a Juventus fan, they knew once that goal was scored that Juventus was going to get a penalty late in the game, as they always do. Frank, uh, walk us through what happened just roughly around the 87th minute or so. Um, the ball ended up on the left-hand side, uh, and they were getting ready to cross the ball, and Cancelo was making a run uh, into the center of the penalty area, and he was with Lulic, and Lulic, Lulic hooked him with his arm and kind of grabbed hold of him a little bit, and Cancelo went to ground. Um, and after some after some deliberation, or after, yeah, it, it, it was almost like it was kind of a bit of a delay, uh, but the referee pointed at the penalty spot and gave a penalty. Now, we can sit here and say, ah, oh, yeah, here we go again, but, the, the, you know, when you look at the replays, that's that's a no-no from Lulic. Um, that's a penalty, uh, because if they didn't catch it there, they would have gone to VAR and saw... Uh, saw what happened here. Lulic got his arm around him, got around it, got his arm around Cancelo's arm, kind of pulled at him a little bit, and that's naughty enough, uh, you know, in, in, in a referee's mind. And you know, when you're playing against Juventus, you should know. Don't do stupid things like that. So, yeah, um, was, it, was it called in real? I didn't watch the game. Was it? Call, I saw the replays, but w- was it called in real time? And then they went to VAR. No, they they called it in real time, and I don't even think they even went to the. I think they he, he talked to the other assistant. They did. on the pitch. Yeah, they conferred the with the assistant, the and they confirmed that it was a penalty. So, okay. and replays replay. I don't I don't have a problem with the call at all. So, yeah. and I'll and I'm and I'm one that 
picks on Juventus a lot and picks on Juventini a lot about this kind of stuff. But when it's a legit penalty, I'm also going to concede and say, yeah, that was a penalty. Yeah. And when I when I initially saw it, I thought, oh, here we go. But then I saw the replay and I said, nope, nope, that was a legit penalty. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes, uh, I won't say oftentimes, a lot of the times Juventus do earn their penalties because they're, they're teams where they get their penalties late in the games because they're pushing to try to score a goal. Um, if the best way to counteract that is you got to keep playing, don't play so defensive, keep attacking the other team. Otherwise, you're putting yourself in a predicament where the other team can get into your box and then things happen. Stupid things like, well, like what Lulic did. So um, a deserved penalty and, um, of course, up steps Ronaldo, you know, fresh off of last week's uh, save that Stefano Sorrentino made um, on the penalty spot. We, you know, maybe some people were thinking, hey, we're going to have a, a, a duplicate of that, but... Uh, no, Cristiano Ronaldo puts it away 2-1. Uh, that would be all the goals in the game. Juventus would win. Uh, Lazio did try at the end, but it wasn't to be. And, and, and Frank, it was just another game that Lazio didn't, couldn't do what they needed to do against a top-six opponent. Yeah, uh, and, and here we go again with Lazio. I mean, this is just an indictment on them. Um, you know, against the top-six, and I mean, against their common top-six, when you look at uh, Juve, Napoli, Milan, Roma, and Inter, uh, all of the games that they've played, one point. And that was a late goal against Milan uh, to get that point. So uh, the struggles continue against the big-time teams at this level for Lazio. And for me, it's a big reason why I think they're going to have a hard time getting a European place when it's all said and done. Because while they're struggling to get these results or failing to get these results against these big teams, teams like Fiorentina, Sampdoria, uh, Atalanta are accumulating exactly the same kind of points that Lazio are, and they're figuring out how to get points against these big teams. Yeah, and you kind of knew in that game when when Immobile missed that missed that shot point blank, you knew they lost that game. They needed that goal because I think if they're up two nothing, they're not going to blow that lead. I mean, maybe, but um, you knew you knew as soon as he missed that goal that okay, this game's over. They're going to lose this game. There's no way that they're not going to lose this game when your when your best player misses a, an opportunity like that. No, for sure, for sure. You've got to you, you when you have your hundred percent. When you have anything that's a seventy-five to hundred percent chance against Juventus, you have to finish it. Yeah. So. Well, that wraps up the two undercards, Frank. Um, what's, what do you got for the rest of the batch? Uh, let's get into the uh, rest of what happened in Serie A over the weekend. All right, and we're going to take you to uh, the rest of Saturday's action. Obviously, the Milan-Napoli game headlined Saturday's uh, activity, but there were two games before that, starting with Sassuolo and Cagliari Sassuolo. Uh, beginning life after Kevin Prince Boateng, they hardly knew him. Uh, he's off to Barcelona. Uh, taking, a cal- taking on Calgary, a uh, mid-table clash, uh, if you will, between the two sides uh, going into this game. And uh, it would be all Sassuolo, a 3-0 win. Manuel Cotelli getting his first goal of the season. Uh, Kuma Babacar uh, getting a penalty on a VAR decision that ended up being correct. It was a, uh, a foul in the penalty area that originally was not given, uh, that the referee went to VAR. I took a look at the uh, highlight. And, um, I can't remember. It was on uh, – the, the foul was on Juricic. I can't remember the Calgary player that was guilty of it, but it was, it was a clear penalty. Uh, referee pointed in spot. Babacar put it away. Uh, and uh, they dusted off Alessandro Matri. 
uh, in the second <laughs> half. Uh, and he came on and got a third goal, courtesy of a cross by Alfred Duncan, who continues to impress uh, for the Nero Verdi. Um, uh, Michael, not much to talk about here with this. Calgary, they, they stink away. Uh, and Sassuolo uh, uh, certainly needed to prove that, uh, hey, we can do this without the Prince, right? Yeah, with them, it's it's pretty much always next man up. And God God bless Mr. Boateng for getting that move. I don't know. That guy's had the most bizarre career in the world and yeah. somehow lands in Barcelona. But, but yeah, yeah when, it, when it comes to Sassuolo, you know, they're, they're another team, you know, kind of like Atalanta. They're, they're always selling guys, always moving guys on, and it's always next man up. And, and ever since they've uh, come up into, into Serie A, they, they, they handle themselves very well every year. Juricic seems to be uh, uh, adapting quite nicely there. Uh, I thought Paul Lirola was particularly pretty good in this game from some of the things that I saw. Uh, so, you know, Sassuolo, uh, you know, still hanging around in hopes of a top half finish, and they're not that far off. Um, a, Europe, a, a European place, probably too much to ask of these guys, but at least um, they, uh, they're going to make it interesting. Uh, also on Saturday, uh, Sampdoria hosting Udinese. Um, it was Sampdoria, really. Udinese didn't really show up. Uh, <laughs> it, was a, uh, it started with a penalty from Quagliarella, which confirms uh, his, he matches Gabriel Batistuta's mark of scoring a goal in 11 straight Serie A games, Michael. Uh, you've got an appreciation for the uh, 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 for the relics of Serie A from the '90s. Uh, Gabriel Batistuta certainly being prominent among them. How significant is this accomplishment? I think it's wonderful. I think I I I love when you, we get a good aging striker that has you know a, a, a renaissance season. But really, yeah. with Bella, it's been like you know uh, almost like he had one career, it stopped, and then. The last couple years, he just keeps doing it again. It's like uh, Tony, Luca Tony, a couple of years ago for Hellas Verona when he led the league in goals. It's 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 so much fun to watch. Again, as a neutral, you know, it's not like he's piling them up against us, but he really is a joy to watch, and he just looks like he's having so much fun. Yeah, for sure. And that's for another sure. guy too. You know, if he misses one, no big deal. Put it in another cross, and he's gonna back heel it in or do something else crazy that you'd never think of. And, you know, that just comes from confidence. It's, it's a blast to watch these aging guys play that well. I joked last week after he missed an easy one uh, against uh, Fiorentina that he scores the brilliant ones and he misses the sitters. Uh, but, uh, but Hey, they, you know, he, you get, you still get some somehow, um, you know, and Richard, he would get a second uh, penalty at the beginning of the second half of this game. That would put him at the top of the Capocannieri chart, Richard. Old man Guayarella on 16 goals, leading Serie A over Cristiano Ronaldo, over Duvan Zapata, over uh, Christian uh, Christoph Piantec, Chiro Immobile sitting there at 11, uh, Milik on 11. I mean, there's some brand names here sitting there behind him, but the old man is at the top of the charts. Uh, do you like his chances of going on and trying to uh, take this thing down? He's having a. I mean, last year was a heck of a season. You know, he had what nineteen gold or something crazy, and we're like, "That's a great year." He's almost at that point already, and we're only in January. Um, this is a it's a magnificent season. I I like his chances of 
being in the hunt for the rest of the season. It's going to be hard with Ronaldo and the way Duvan Zapata is going right now. But, man, he is just fun to watch. Uh, we're going to call him Don Fabio now because, <laughs> I mean, gosh. Why not? Just, Why yeah, not? He's just amazing. And we keep talking about he's the, the aging player and he's younger than all of us, guys. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> He looks older than us, so that's a, that's an important thing. And, but he and but yeah, no, he keeps scoring goals, whether it's penalties or 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 beautiful back heels or just a regular goal. This guy knows how to do it, and he's still got his speed. And man, good for him. He must be keeping in great shape because uh, yeah, he can go on for a long, many more years. It seems like we pay homage to Don Fabio uh, at the top of the Capo Canonieri race. Fabio Quadrilla, sixteen goals. Uh, right now holding off the pretty boy over there at Juventus. Let's see if uh, he can make that last. Uh, but uh, it was the third goal for Sampdoria for me that uh, is a goal of the week candidate. I'm a huge fan of three-man combinations, uh, and that is what happened here. And at the end, Carol Lanetti uh, bagging it uh, to uh, secure the three points uh, for the Blue Karate. And for good measure, Richard, uh, your former Southampton boy, Manolo Gabbiadini, uh, yeah, getting his first goal. Was that his first Sampdoria appearance since uh, joining from Southampton? Yeah, and just minutes onto the pitch, he scores a goal. Beautiful assist by Quagliarella on that one too. So two goals and assists for the old man. And but yeah, Gabidini, uh, he he's enjoying life now at Syria and it's back in Syria, and uh, it's a good place to be at, especially at Sampdoria. Uh, you know, a lot of goals going to happen. So uh, good for him. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So Sampdoria roll uh, four goals to nil, and. Uh, uh, so the big question that begs here, uh, Michael, what percent chance do you give uh, Fabio Quadrilla Fabio scoring next week at Napoli at the San Paolo, which would mark 12 straight games with a goal, which would set him apart from Batigol? Well, I, I think other than going to play Juve, that's going to be about the toughest challenge in front of him, but... I mean, at the same time, he just keeps doing it every week. So you hate to say he's not going to do it. Yeah. But, you know, it, that's going to, and that's going to be a fun game to watch. That would be a very, very fun game to watch. And I'd hate for, uh, there's no way John Paolo pulls a dick move and uh, sits him uh, for that game next week, Rich, does he? <laughs> no, no, he's not going to do that. And, you know he's gonna be he's gonna be tightly marked by Koulibaly and and Albiol, but that just means he'll score an outrageous goal because he did yep. that in the first time. So um, it's still the goal of the year so far, Canada right now, or the goal of the year so far. Yeah, we'll see how much what's left the rest of the season. Does well, he do you it know, with, with him the rest of the year? You know they're out of the Copa. They obviously don't have to worry about any European stuff. He's just go out, got to go out there once a week and and do his thing. That's and all. Rest those rest those old legs all week long. Get ready for the next one. You know. That's right. There's no there's no fixture pile up in their future. So he's got sure. he's got time. I'll put you guys on the spot. Does he make it twelve in a row? Yes. Yes, please. Okay. Yes, just because just because <laughs> yeah. we want to see it. Yes, please. Just because we're going to see it. Just because we want to see it, we're going to say yes. We're going to say I, yes. So uh, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I, I'm just hoping right now they don't play at the same time Milan does. Put it that way. That'll, if, that'll be a game worth, uh, worth taking in if I can. Yeah, and if Ancelotti, if you listen to this podcast ever, hey, do us a solid. Uh, the, 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 the title is over. Uh, don't play Koulibaly next week. There you go. <laughs> Make it as easy as possible. Go ahead and play Maximovic uh, and, uh, and, and, and give this old man a chance to make it 12 in a row. Uh, we'd love to see it. So yeah. They do not play the same days. They play different days. So. The old man score, that's all. You know, Napoli can win three to one. That's fine. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it gives him one out of pity in the end. So, yeah. so, so Napoli plays on uh, Friday, and then on Saturday uh, plays Milan. So there you go. Wait, you can watch it. So No, wait. So Napoli plays Sampdoria on – is that on Friday? Uh, whenever the second, isn't it? Friday or Saturday? They're playing, these- they're playing on Saturday. Okay, so the Milan's playing on Sunday. Super yeah. Bowl Sunday. Huh? Milan plays Milan plays Roma on Sunday. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, either way, you can watch the game. Thirty game, I think. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So, so yeah, so so let's uh, let's hope he does it. So, getting into the uh, Sunday action that happened, and if uh, you couldn't sleep, uh, you know, this morning, um, and decided to have a little calcio, you picked a good game. Kievo uh, and Fiorentina. Uh, going at it, and it would be Fiorentina opening the scoring. Boy, Luis Muriel, all he does is show up and uh, show up on the peninsula and score goals. Gets his third um, in about ninety-five minutes of playing for Fiorentina. Uh, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good rate, right? Um, Marco Benassi would uh, make it two-nil uh, for La Viola shortly after that with a uh, with a pretty nice goal himself. Um, uh, but uh, this uh, this wasn't decided. This is Fiorentina, after all. They uh, they don't know how to close these things, much like many of the teams in the Serie A. And uh, Mario Stepinski uh, on a on a ball in from Fabio De Paoli, uh, score for Kievo to make this two one before the halftime break. Um, Marco Benassi uh, is shown a red card for a professional handball in the penalty area, straight red card. So after scoring, he gets sent off and. Uh, Richard's closet crush, Sergio Polissier, steps up and uh, Cooley knocks down. You're going to miss him when he's in Serie B next season, Richard. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> true. Uh, Sergio Polissier comes through and equalizes for the Flying Donkeys, and it's 2-2 and game on all of a sudden. So Fiorentina down to 10 men, naturally resorting to counterattacking football. And when you've got a guy like Federico Chiesa in your team, um, and you're playing, well, Kievo. Uh, there's not a whole lot to worry about. Uh, mm-hmm. Chiesa's, Chiesa's third, the third, third for Fiorentina, Chiesa's first goal of the week candidate uh, on a very tight angle, very well taken. Uh, he would make it 4-2 on, after being played in by Gerson. Um, this was after uh, Kievo awarded yet another penalty, and Richard got all heartbroken because his closet crush this time, Sergio Polissier, could not convert. And the and LaFont made the save. Um, and then uh, that's when Fiorentina went the other way and scored through Chiesa to make it 4-2. Um, but uh, Chievo did make this interesting. Philippe Djordovic did score uh, to get within 4-3. Richard, on the one end, you know, Fiorentina right now with the addition of Luis Muriel, you got Muriel, Simeone, Chiesa. That is as devastating a counterattacking trio uh, that will keep managers up at night. But I mean, the defending is now all of a sudden bad enough. Is 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 Fiorentina the new fun bad? Yeah, yeah, it seems like it too. This game was really interesting. I, I was actually up at this time watching. I watched the game, and right after right after Muriel scored um there was a a blunder the referee was having mustn't have had his coffee yet that morning because he called Lafont uh Alban Lafont twice back for not setting the ball right on on a on a goal kick the first time it goes back the second time Lafont kicks it to Jacarini Jacarini scores a goal they end up taking the goal away because they said Policier's foot stepped into the box and so the the goal got disallowed because he he encroached 
or whatever. It was a stupid call. And then Benassi went down and scored a goal to get, get Fiorentina leading. But yeah, now Fiorentina's defense has been been crap this year, and um, you let Kievo score three goals on you. I mean, Kievo came to play. Granted, they're they're fighting for survival right now, but there's no chance. There's no reason Kievo should be scoring three goals on anybody. Michael, and, have you ever done that to anybody? A guy because somebody had their foot in the penalty area, you take away a goal or or anything weird like that in your time as a referee. No, you know, there's a couple like there's a couple laws out there that kind of no one pays attention to that one a little bit the the setting the ball wrong for a goal kick that you never see supposedly a keeper is supposed to get five seconds to get rid of the ball in a goal kick that never happens there's just certain things that are law or like a uh, like an infraction on a throw-in you hardly ever see that I mean they're laws of the game yes but they're most things that anything above about a u10 level just you know most referees will tell you they just don't ever call. That's why when you see something like that, you almost think like, like you said, either that guy didn't have his coffee that morning or something else LaFont did, you know, pissed him off. So he decided to take it out <laughs> of him. I don't know what, you know, that, that, like I said, those are just the kind of things you, you either they the, never how- see or you get some, uh, you know, a, a kid that's brand new at it that calls the five seconds on a keeper. And afterwards you pull him over to the side and you're just like, don't ever do that again. But to see it at a professional level is definitely definitely strange. What about the throw in the throw in the throw in thing? So like I've always hated this play, but Suzuka Suzuka called in the Milan game for not for doing an improper throw in. Um, I I never understood that. Like, do you I don't, can you explain the rule a little bit? Like how how are, how do throw ins get classified as not not a not a good one? The only <clears throat> the only way you can get called for an improper throw in is either one of your feet has to be all the way on the field. Um, your front foot can be anywhere on the line or behind the line. I mean, you can literally have almost your whole foot on the field and maybe just your heel touching the line and it's okay. So that's one way is to have one foot on, on the field. The other way is to lift your back foot. But honestly, if you watched a reel of like a thousand professional throwing, yeah. I would bet at least 500 of them, they lift their back foot and, you know, uh, again, maybe it was something the ref said something to him, you know, and then he did. Right. And I don't know. But, you know, again, that's just one of those things that you just never see called. That's that's interesting. When, when did they call it? Do you remember when that happened in the Milan game? Uh, it was, like, I don't remember. I'd love to go find it. I'm just curious. It was in the second half. I want to say it was in the second half and uh, it was in their own on their own half. Suzo went to try to take do a real quick throw in and he got called for it and then. Yeah, the team got the ball, um, but yeah, it was it was in the second half for sure. Yeah, that's in, in, in you the wrong half. Don't you just don't ever see happen because most refs aren't even going to pay attention. They're more worried about where the ball is going, where it's going to land, and whether it's going right. to be you know uh, 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 you know a foul from there. Most guys are worried about where the ball is going and where it's going to land. Nobody's paying attention to somebody's feet, so it is interesting. Mm. Indeed, indeed. So. Plenty of activity there in that Kiev Fiorentina game. Uh, I mean, there were just goals all over the place in Serie A this week. Thankfully, uh, uh, is, is, is Muriel going to be that guy that's like Quagliarella in like five or six years? He's going to be somewhere else, and he's still going to be doing it. Like maybe between now and then, he gets a transfer somewhere, vanishes somewhere, reappears at I don't know Udinese or somewhere like that and has like a 25-goal season. He just feels like that kind of guy 
that, you know, just he has it. It's just a matter of, you know, whether he's always going to show it or not, because the skill is definitely there. I mean, when he's on, he he sure is fun to watch. And that's what's astonished me about Muriel throughout his career is that he you would have thought by now, you know, with the talent that he has and with everything that he brings to the table um, that he would have found a permanent home where he's regularly scoring 20 goals a season, but he's bouncing all over the place. Sampdoria, Sevilla, now, now at Fiorentina, and, you know, probably there to stay, hopefully there to stay. You know, if he can get somewhere where he can hang his hat and a, and a manager can pay some faith in him, you've got a 20-goal-a-season guy. Uh, I, he's that good. You know, and then even in the Colombia national team, he's sitting behind the likes of, you know, Radamel Falcao. Uh, you know, Jackson Martinez for a little while, several years ago, before Martinez chased the money and went off to China. Oh, um, he sure vanished. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nobody's heard from him yeah. uh, ever since he did that either. So, um, yeah, he's always kind of been kind of the uh, kind of the second fiddle here. And, uh, you know, he's never found a place where he can really hang his hat. And, man, I'll tell you what, if, 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 you're, if the Della Valle family can hang on to these three guys, Chiesa, Simeone, and Muriel, they've really got something special that they can build around here. Uh, and, you know, and in the way Pioli likes to go after people with his tactics, this is exactly the kind of front three that he loves to have. So, you know, it's a very snug fit. It's obviously it's no surprise to me that he's he's gotten off to a very good start here, three goals in his first two games since joining. Uh, and this is going to be a very dangerous team. I'm I'm scared to death as a Milan fan when I see them on the schedule. I'm scared to death to see them because of what they're going to do going the other way. So well, we next thing's infectious because next thing you know, one week Chiesa is going to score a couple goals, and next week Simeone is going to score a couple goals. You know, right. before you know it, that because early in the year it seemed like for whatever reason none of them could score. You know, and then Benassi in the midfield is capable of scoring goals. Veratu when yep. he comes in. You know, there's 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 goals all over the place with this Fiorentina team. They got to figure out how to defend better, and that's what's that's why they're in ninth and they're not sitting in a top six spot right now. Um, that's where they're that's where they're losing it. They've got a pretty good goalkeeper in the front, but that back four and there's got to be some organization. They're a little too. That's why I asked, are they the new fun bad? Because they are a little too loosey goosey tactically, and they they afford bags of space here. You, if you want to be a top six team, if you want to go to Europe. You shouldn't be giving up three goals to Kievo. So um, while it's a great win for Fiorentina, it's a great away win, and, and they did it on 10 men, <laughs> you know, there's there's this problem here, too, defensively that they've got to figure out. So, um, so yeah, but uh, uh, let's move on. Uh, Bologna and Frozenone, uh, or the uh, put people in Zaghi out of his misery game. Um, <laughs> uh because that's exactly what probably ended up happening. Uh, Federico Mattiello, 13 minutes in, went in on a rash challenge, uh, studs up, caught the shin of a Frosinone player, and was promptly sent off. No problem with this uh, red card decision. Uh, just a, a problem with uh, going in studs up and going in late uh, is really what happened there. I saw the replay. Uh, didn't have an issue with the straight red. Uh, shortly after that, Frosinone would pounce. Paolo Giglione... Uh, from Andrea Baghetto, uh, making it 1-0. Uh, it was uh, Camilo Ciano, and uh, this is a goal of the week candidate. Uh, Ciano's first goal of this game, uh, doubling the lead for 
we're gonna Richard, we're gonna have a frozen one guy in our top five. Are you okay with that? Oh my goodness, goodness <laughs> gracious! I'll try to contain myself. It's halftime, and then in the forty, you know, at the beginning of the you know second half, people in Zaghi just goes into an absolute panic. He takes out his captain Andrea Poli for Arturo Calabresi. Yeah, I don't know him either. Uh, and then uh, you know the guy who people in Zaghi hope would save his save his ass at Milan, <laughs> Mattia Destro comes on for Ricardo Rossellini. Uh, yeah, okay, take on probably your most creative player for a guy who doesn't know how to score goals. Um, and rightfully so, Frozenone continued to punish Bologna. Andrea Pinamonte makes it 3-0, uh, and uh, Camilo Ciano gets a brace in the 75 minute, 75th minute <clears throat> to make it 4-0. Uh, Richard, uh, Nicola Sansoni and Roberto Seriano made their first appearances for Bologna in this game, and they had to look at each other afterwards and say, we, we signed for this. Yeah, I mean, hopefully Mihalovic is coming in. He's going to turn things around. But, man, that's, uh, that's a hard way to come in. And you look like you're the worst team in the league playing against Frosinone, who are a terrible team, and you lose 4 nothing to them. you got to be like, uh, can we go back and to where we came from? This is uh, not cool, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, not true. And uh, to what Richard's referring to, and I'll read this. This is coming from the uh, Football Italia staff. Uh, Bologna are increasingly liking, likely to fire people in Zaghi, obviously. Uh, and bring in Sinisa Mihailovic. And you know what? Sinisa Mihailovic followed people in Zagi at Milan, too. So uh, is that what's going to happen? So we can follow this pattern. So once Mihailovic is sacked, uh, Montella's going there. Uh, and then Gattuso's going there. Right, Michael? <laughs> well, you guys going over this game is basically like stand-up comedy because, like, punchline <laughs> after punch. I'm just over here covering my mouth. trying to laugh too much so it doesn't interrupt you guys. But, I mean, it is just... It, it, it's ridiculous. And, you know, Pipo was so much fun to watch on the field, so much joy, you know, always smiling, man. And he just looked like somebody stepped on his dog every week. I mean, he just, it's like, get me out of here. They, always when you watch the highlights, oh, they got the camera on him and he looks oh, like, Jesus, I don't want to be here anymore. Can they please fire me? He had black hair <laughs> to begin the season. Now he's got gray hair. Yes, he's, like, he's aged. Oh. <laughs> In a matter of months, yeah. he's aged more than his brother. Like, what the heck? And it's funny, you know, when he retired, you know, obviously played for a long time, <clears throat> retired, you know, at, at what, 35, 36, something like that, but was like this really young-looking 35 or 36. That <laughs> yeah. looks like a super old 40. You know, it's like he's aged 20 years in the last, what, four years or so. I mean, it's just, yeah, I Probably the last four months, really. And like you said, they, they just showed the guy nonstop on the camera. I mean, it's like the highlights of, of almost every one of their games is just him just in disgust while the other team just scores goals. I mean, it's I, uh, I feel bad for the guy. That's about all I can say. Start a, uh, uh, one of those new uh, reality series. I'm an all-time leading goal scorer. Get me out of yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. So Bologna, like I said, this is from Football Italia. The 4-0 home defeat to Frosinone was the final straw. President Joey Saputo went to the press room after the game and called the team pathetic. Also met with the fans who were protesting outside the Stadio Dallara after the Serie a, after a Serie a season with two wins, eight draws, and 11 defeats. Sport, Sky Sport Italia, Sport Italia, and La Gazzetta dello Sport, and many more claim negotiations are already in full swing with Mihailovic. I can't wait for this. This is going to be so fun. 
You got Bologna sitting there in 18th place, Inzaghi leaving, and they're going to replace him with Mihailovic. And you know what the first thing he's going to say to those guys? You guys, I'm here because you guys suck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he will. He's going to flat out say it to those guys. That's just going to be the first thing they say, and they're all going to look at each other and say, who is this guy? Maybe people wasn't so bad. We should probably have played for him. <laughs> so uh, doesn't seem like the guy that's going to show up and have a a little bout of kumbaya in the locker room. He's going <laughs> to tear them all a new one. Whether it'll make any difference with that team, I don't know. But uh, I would love to be a fly on the wall for his first team speech. <laughs> same, same for sure. Uh, uh, I think uh, I think uh, the Rosa Blue. Are in for a rude awakening. Shall uh, Mihailovic uh, be appointed uh, uh, to uh, take the reins here, as it's being reported? But uh, I was going to start by asking after this game. Uh, there's no way people survives this, and then I saw this piece, and I said, "Well, people's not going to survive this." So, uh, also uh, in that collection of uh, three o'clock Italy time games, uh, Parma and Spal. Uh, it was uh, Inglese on a penalty to open the scoring and then a brace for Inglese, another one of Richard's Plaza crushes, getting on the score sheet. Uh, yeah. 2-0 and then another team that screwed up a lead because here comes Spall. Um, Mattia Velotti, wasn't he supposed to be like the next big thing when he was young? Yeah. yeah. And scores here for Spall. Andrea Patania equalizing. Uh, and then Mohamed Fares with a uh, goal of the week candidate. There you go, Richard. We're going to have a Frozenone and Spall goal in our goal of the week candidates. All oh these goals, we couldn't find any real crackers, and these two were actually really good. <laughs> but uh, Mohamed Fares with the winner, uh, giving Spall the 3-2 win. And just when we could start to feel good about Parma, uh, Michael, they go and do this. Yeah, yeah. It's like they were on the, the honeymoon for the longest time in the season. And now they're starting to slowly slip down the table. And when you, when you lose, when you lose games like this to Spall, it it it's not a good thing. And and you wonder if they're a team. You wonder if Parma's a team that all of a sudden slips into a massive funk and really starts sliding towards the bottom of the table. Because at one point they were up to what fifth or sixth. I mean, they had gotten pretty high, and now they're just slip sliding away. Uh, Richard, uh, Parma's uh, next uh, match is at Juve, home mm. to Inter, uh, at Cagliari, which is never easy, home to Napoli. Uh, they kind of needed those three points, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. They're going to be slipping down further the table uh, after those four matches. Um, yeah, Juve, Inter, at Cagliari. I mean, those are those are tough matches. Napoli, man, uh, if, they, if, they, if anyone could pull a victory, I mean, they gave Juve all they could handle the first game, so... I mean, it's possible they can get a draw, but maybe draw out of one of these games, but uh, it doesn't look good for them. No, it definitely doesn't. Uh, definitely doesn't at all. Moving on, Torino and Inter, which we were going to put into our undercard, but uh, Inter decided that they want to take a longer uh, winter break, apparently, because they had the nil-nil draw against Oswaldo, and now they go to uh, uh, now they go head out to uh, Torino, and they lose by a goal to nil. It was Armando Izzo. Uh, on a ball from Christian Ansalde. Christian Ansalde coming back to haunt his former employer uh, with an assist in this game. And uh, let's just uh, look at, let's have pick on interday. First of all, the lineup, uh, for some reason, uh, and Adam Digby had a rant about this on Twitter, and he was he was right. Uh, for some reason, Spalletti decided that he should match tactics with Torino instead of just go out going out and being inter. I mean, are these the things that are keeping? Are these the things that are keeping uh, Spalletti from 
you know, taking the taking that next step to being taken seriously as a as a potentially elite manager. Well, that that and the fact that he really hasn't won much um, in terms of trophies, but. Uh, you know, for somebody that can be looked at, uh, you know, into a higher echelon of managers, you know, and, and he's done an overall, he's done a good job with Inter, but then he does things like this where you have to sit back and scratch your head, right, Michael? Oh, I agree. And, and you know, now in the last couple of weeks, you had the, you know, apparently Icardi is still, you know, negotiating his next deal. So you've got that little issue. Now you've got the manager when everything's going fine is going to want to reinvent the wheel. You know, these are the little things that pile up and seem to always pile up for inter that, that make things, you know, make the season become a mess for them. So that's why it's going to be interesting to see if they can bounce back in the last couple of weeks. Would you say two games in a row without scoring? I mean, that, that should be completely unacceptable. Richard, here was their lineup. Handanovic and goal back three, Skriniar, Debris and, and Miranda, uh, and then in front of them, the wingbacks, D'Ambrosio and Dalbert got a start. And then they had Brozovic and Vecino, Joao Mario in front of them, and they decided to go with Lataro and Icardi up front. Yeah. I mean, as as good as Lataro and Icardi can be, to, can be, it feels like to me that this, this – Inter don't have the personnel to play this system. It's just flat out that's the problem. Yeah, and they really wanted to get all three of their center backs out on the pitch for some reason at the same time. Um, it, it just didn't work out for them at all. And you can, you got to stick with what you're good at, right? You you can't go and try to match tactics with other managers and oh they're doing that, let me do that too. No, just do what you're good at, and that's what well, the results will come. This stuff where he, where um, Spalletti is just mixing his his lineups, it just doesn't work, and they don't they do not have the 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 players to make this kind of formation work at all. They need to do what they normally do and. Yeah, they got great players on the pitch, but they still got to be in the right position to win, and they were not put in this game, unfortunately for them. Only two shots on target for Inter, which speaks to the performance of that back three for Torino. Yeah. Pizzo obviously scoring the goal, and Colo, who we've talked about a lot, but Kofi, Kofi Gigi is uh, is getting better and better here for Torino. And then, uh, you know, he got a yellow card, but Ola, Ola Aina having another nice game uh, for yeah. Granata. So, um and, then, and that's uh, a tough team to play against. I mean, in, in your your manager is going to change around the formation like that, get away from the thing you're good at, which what Inter's good at is just you keep lobbing in cross after cross after cross, and eventually, you know, Icardi's going to get on the end of one. I mean, it happened to us early, earlier this year against them. To completely change things like that and then to go up against a physical team like Torino is is nuts. And, you know, in a way, he got what he deserved. Michael, um, Torino is 10th on 30 points, have played 21 games, and Andrea Bellotti only has seven goals. How good has Walter Mazzotti been? Oh, I, th- I think he's been fantastic. Like I said, I think they're definitely one of the, <clears throat> one of the toughest teams to play against. I mean, they just, they just knocked the snot out of you. The game we yeah. had against them, <clears throat> I felt bad for the ref. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because I mean, they just they just come and come and come, and I mean, they are so physical. They are no fun to play against. And you know, again, if you're going to be inter and play that kind of lineup, which lines up a little more uh, narrow against Torino, you're you're playing right into their hands because that's what they want you to do is come down the middle so they can just knock the crap out of you. And and if you're going to do that, then 
happy camper and happy campers. And, and yeah, Mazzari's doing, you know, a fantastic job. I mean, nobody, nobody on that team scoring 20 goals, you know, they just, they're just rough and tough and they're no fun to play against. Richard, uh, do you feel that way, Torino? It's kind of one of those, they're, they're, they're turning into that team in this league that uh, when you play and bring your lunch pail. Yeah, yeah, Masadi's really turned them into that kind of team, and uh, they're really a tough team to play, a tough team to play, as Michael said, and uh, good for them because, as you said, Belotti's not scoring the goals. they got to find other ways to, to get victories, um, and this is certainly working for them now. And They're going to be going up the table now with this kind of style, um, especially if Belotti uh, starts finding ways to score, look out. Um, they'll be being more dangerous, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to see by them. Politano, a red card in this game for saying something about the referee's mother. Um, That'll do it. Says, yep, it says argument, so that's what I'm assuming. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's Inter, so it's I'm not that far off. Uh, so that uh, those are the nine games. Empoli and Genoa uh, kick off on uh, Monday. That is 17th at home against 15th. Uh, yeah, we don't care. Um, uh I actually like Empoli to win that game. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, uh, Caputo, your relative, uh, he should be able to score in that game, I think. Genoa is going to be they're gonna be reeling after losing Piontek. Yeah, they just signed uh, They just signed a player we'll get to here in a minute. But um, it's it's not going to be the same without their, their main their main talisman. Yeah, Kwame is still there for the moment. But it's going to be it's going to be hard. And, and Caputo and... Um, Lagomina are gonna are gonna try to get in that box, and we've seen those two guys can take on a whole entire defense and team by themselves and and score goals. So, hey, look for Empoli to get like a two one victory or something. Yeah, uh, uh, Michael, what do you think? Uh, I I agree. Yeah, Kwame is already signed with who who this summer? Napoli. Napoli. Okay, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yep. and you, you got to wonder with him. Okay, he's already kind of got one foot out the door. They've already lost Piantic. Like, are they gonna have? you know, a bit of a hangover after a while. I know every year they seem to magically find a way to survive. They never get relegated. But I, I would imagine for a few weeks here they might have a uh, a pretty tough time. And I don't – he's not the same player without Piantic in there. It's pretty clear. Oh, and yeah. I don't think that he should be judged on how he performs the rest of the season. Napoli fans shouldn't sit there and look at this and say, oh, we waste, we're wasting our money on this guy. Look at how he's playing. said, well, I, I think once you get him in a system where he can play with Milik, it's going to be pretty similar. Um, what you're going to see from him is pretty similar to what you saw from him here in the first half of the season. So I certainly won't pass judgment on on him here the rest of the way. I think he lost a guy that, that played a big big role in why he started to have a degree of success to a point where um, you know he was able to be be able to make this move to the Parthenon Pay. So um, let's well, look at the table. How many times in the past have you seen a team – basically sell their very solid front pairing basically in the same window. Mm -hmm. I mean, kind of feel yeah. bad for Prandelli. He shows up and what a couple weeks later, they, they sell his striker and then they've already promised to sell the guy that played off of him. That also was having an excellent year. It's that's rough. Yeah, it is. It's a real pity. It's a real pity, but, uh, <laughs> Hey, you know, Prandelli got a, a, an average Italy team to the uh, Euro finals in 2012. So, um, you know, so he's capable of doing some decent things. Let's see what he does with this Genoa team the rest of the way. But the table, uh, uh, this title race is getting more and more over as we go. Juventus now 11 points clear of Napoli at the top. 
Uh, Napoli 48 points, Inter 40 points, Milan 35 points. As Milanisti, let me pose this question, Richard, you first. Is Milan in fourth on their merit? Is it, or is it because Roma and Lazio have screwed this up, or is it a combination of every of all of that? Uh, it's a combination of everything. I mean, Milan are certainly getting their results that they need, um, but it hasn't been the prettiest stuff, but they're getting the results. And then plus, you know, Roma and Lazio are doing Roma and Lazio things. Um, it makes it certainly easier just to be above them. So, yeah, it's going to be uh, – it's a little bit of both. Michael, what do you think? Uh, I, I agree. I, I, I've been happy about how well Milan has managed to survive all the injuries we've had for – about two months, and granted, nobody really liked the, that Gattuso basically bunkered in. I mean, we've hardly scored, but we've also hardly conceded anything over these couple months, and we've somehow survived it to the point where guys are coming back from injury, and we're in fourth place. So, yeah, it's the other teams are, are you know, doing, doing Roma things and doing, uh, you know, making mistakes, but at the same time, I mean, we've managed to survive an, an avalanche of injuries and still be right there. So maybe a little bit more Milan doing well and maybe a little credit to Gattuso, but, you know, we are where we are. Uh, and, I, and I somewhat agree with that. I think that, you know, it's a, it's a credit to Gattuso to be able to overcome the injuries, maintain fourth position, you know, uh, but I think they, they've had a little help with the fact that Roma and Lazio haven't been able to keep it consistent on their end as well. Uh, so this is going to be, you know, quite interesting um, the rest of the way. So uh, uh, all of you listening out there, your thoughts on what you're seeing with the table in some of these races, go to at down on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, let's discuss transfers. Well, we'll discuss transfers and we'll discuss Coppa Italia. So uh, the things that we speculated last week all came to fruition. The merry-go-round of strikers did happen. Christoph Piantek joining Milan for $35 million. Uh, Higuain uh, officially moving and leaving the peninsula and joining Chelsea. Uh, and uh, whatever happens after that, I don't care. I think Morata was going from from Chelsea to Atletico Madrid. And, well, Richard will care because Ka- Nikola Kalinic oh. is going to be oh. back in his life. Joining Schalke from yeah, from Atleti. Yeah. So, I, I was hoping you weren't going to forget that, Frank. I thought for a second there you were going to leave it. <laughs> yeah, I never. I to have you know, Richard and I have done this for such a long time. You, you, it's, it, it goes without saying. Any chance I have to have it to, to have a dig at my co-host, I'm going to do it. So because I know he would do the, I know he would do the same. So that's right. That's right. <laughs> the, the thing that kind of surprises me about that little merry-go-round is like. Why is Atletico so excited to bring Morata in? That that's the thing. I mean, I understand why Iguain's going where he is. I understand why you know Piatek is coming coming to Milan. The 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 Morata domino falling to Atletico Madrid just kind of that surprises me. I don't know. Maybe they think they can, you know, relight the fire in him. I just that that's that's the part of it that I'm kind of surprised about. But I'll take it. Yeah, you know, it's just it's. It seems like they Simeone might feel like he can pair anyone with Griezmann and 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 be okay because he's sure trying to. I mean, he's had he's had Diego Costa, he's had uh, uh, Kalinic. Now you got Morata coming. Last year it was Kevin Gamero, who's now not there. He's at Valencia, you know. So um, it seems like you know he feels like he could put anybody up there with with Griezmann and be fine. I think that that's you know that's what 
that's what I would think about it. I think what you know what I what I want to talk about is that you know what I what I said on Twitter when all of this was happening said that uh, and 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 you guys as as Milanisti probably agree with this. I never really got the feeling that Iguain wanted to be at Milan. Agreed. Yeah. Well, while he while his performances on the pitch, his character showed that he cared. Off the pitch, you could tell he just didn't want to be there. He's just like, oh, why am I here? Really? Yeah. Yeah, especially. And- Juve game. It was like at, at that moment on the field in front of all those people and the referee, he realized, oh shit, I've made a giant mistake. And it was like at that point that he basically tuned out and it was just, you know, maybe he walked into the locker room after that and said, forget it, I'm out of here. But it just seemed at that moment that he realized that he had made a big mistake. Yeah, for sure. So in comes let's let's talk about that. In comes Piontek. He signs with Milan. It's thirty five million, and uh, Elliot gives him thirty five million 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 cash. Um, you know, Michael is someone that exclusively does all things AC Milan. My understanding is that this money just came from what they had reserved in case that Milan wanted to have the go ahead to buy Iguain outright from uh, Juventus at the end of the season. Is that where that was coming from? That's what it seems like to me. I mean, I'm I'm not an expert on financial fair play. But that really seems to be the case. And then the, the bonus is that, you know, you get a guy that, you know, instead of with Higuain, somebody who's going to make nine, what, nine or ten million a year, you get a guy that's going to make two million a year for five years, which, you know, if he can, if he can pull his weight is, is an excellent number in the long run. Yeah. Uh, it's a great move all the way around. All right. But now let's ask this question because we, we speculated this last week. Uh, Milan have had a problem with strikers for, for, you know, all the way back since Shevchenko. One striker in that time has really panned out, Ibrahim, Ibrahimovic. Um, and he was only around for two seasons. So what is it about Piantic that's going to be different? Richard, you first. Well, he, we watched, what, 20 minutes of him in the last game, and he's everywhere the ball is. That's what you notice. Uh, that's the main thing about Cutrone, why he's been so successful, because he always finds where the ball is going to be, and he's there. And Piontek was the same way in the, in the game. He nearly had an assist in the game, uh, getting off, getting on a header somehow that Muzakio missed a, missed the a final final goal. But um, he's he's got the pace, he's got the size, um, and he's got the hunger. Obviously, it's it's show, it seems that he wants to really score goals. When you listen to his inter- to his press conference. He said, "Oh, just, I'm here to score goals. I'm not going to talk. I'm here to score goals." That's what you want to hear. You you that's something you want to you want to see. And he seems like he's buying to the philosophy as well. And um, I think just that his nose for the goal, his his ability to read the play as it's happening is 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 what you need and what you want a striker to have. And I think um, he'll 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 pan out. I think thirteen goals so far in Serie A this season, Michael for Genoa. But many of those against the little guys. Is that a little concerning? Uh, it is a little bit, but I'm hoping. You know, with maybe a, a little more service and a little more behind him, that he gets more chances against the bigger teams. But it is concerning. I mean, when you look, I think he only has two goals, maybe three, against all the teams that are in the top ten. But I, I'm kind of old fashioned. I like me a big old number nine that's going to cruise around the box. I'd have been perfectly happy with bringing Luca Toni back a couple of years ago. I mean, look what <laughs> Qualiorella is doing at his age. You know, I mean that 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 is that's a position that's hard to find. 
You know, like mm-hmm. center backs are very, a good center back is very, very hard to find. A good solid number nine is very hard to find. And you see, you know, how well Milik is doing for, for Napoli. I think, I think Piatek's going to be just fine for, for Milan. Yep. Uh, so that's the uh, that was the, the the big domino that fell as far as other arrivals coming in as far as Serie A is concerned, and uh, yeah, Richard, I just saw your message. I was just getting ready to ask about this. Uh, Antonio Sanabria joining joining Genoa on loan from Real Betis. Uh, you follow Real Betis, so uh, tell us what uh, Genoa are getting. Uh, this is a goal scorer. Um, well, he may, may not be to the he might be as known as say Piantic is. Um, he, could, he he certainly is in La Liga. He's very known. He's a very good player. He also has a nose for a goal. Um, he's obviously come in to replace Piantic, and maybe he, he and Kwame can link up together. Uh, there will obviously be a language barrier at the beginning, but um, he's a very quick. He's not too dissimilar from Piantic in, in terms of size, pace, uh, ability. He's had some big goals and big games uh, in La Liga, so um, it's gonna be he's going to be a good player. Um, hopefully he pans out for them and he, he can link up real quick with uh, with the players around them and, and get some goals for them because he, he, he certainly can score goals. Feels like a, a, a Cesare Prandelli guy, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And he, he I'm sure he knows him from Spain, so uh, I'm sure he's thrilled with the, the signing. Hey, he probably knows enough Spanish to uh, get them both on the same page. So, uh, And Stefano Storaro, uh being uh, – taken out of the uh, street clothes and the tracksuits of Juventus uh, to join Genoa as well. A loan fee with an option. It looks like one point, getting a really cheap uh, 1.5 million. I mean, with, you know, with, with what Juve keeps bringing on board, uh, just Stefano Serrato just keeps getting pushed back and back and back and back. And, and Michael, he's, he's decent enough and, uh, and he's got enough experience. He should help Genoa, shouldn't he? I would think so. And he's been pinned to the bench there. Forever, he's certainly well rested. So, and and with Genoa, with Genoa sending away the people they did, they they definitely need some help. Mm, indeed, they indeed. could they could probably use Montalivo. He's not yeah. doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, and I know that there was talk that maybe Bertolacci could get loaned back, or it was going to be maybe packaged in the Piantic deal, and that never happened. So, um, but uh, I know that uh, Milan have some midfielders that they don't use anymore that could be available still before this transfer window shuts. You never know. I know that uh, Montalivo's agent has said, hey, we feel like I feel like my client can still play. My client still feels like he can play. And um, and uh, it's uh, one of those where he just needs to find a new home because he's not going to get the time at Milan anymore. Uh, let's go to Inter. Uh, Richard uh, Cedric uh, joining on loan. Um it seems like uh, they've got a, now they have one. They have three right, three guys that can play right back now. Uh, what's the purpose yeah. of having Cedric there? I'm guessing depth player. I mean, I don't know. Cedric Suarez is is a is a decent right back. Uh, he can play. He can play in the midfield as well. So maybe they just want to get some more depth and just. Uh, I mean, that's they have enough guys there, but I'm, I guess they're playing it safe, and I guess it's better to have depth than than not, and then you know get an injury and then be be screwed. So. I'm not really sure what they're thinking there. Maybe they're getting ready for the uh, um, Europa League. That <laughs> could be, could be. And uh, talk of Diego Godin uh, joining Inter uh, this summer uh, on a free. It was originally thought that Milan were going to be in for him, but now he's going to make the move. It looks like, by all accounts, he's on his way uh, to Inter. Uh, Michael Serie A will be able to boast 
having the three best defenders in the world if, if Godin joins, right? Oh, yeah, I agree. I, I'm uh, honestly surprised that he would ever leave there. I, I kind of figured he was going to be the sort of guy that was going to be at, at Atletico, you know, till the end. I'm honestly surprised he's going to go anywhere. And, you know, it's not like Inter needs another center back, but they want- it makes you think. Simeone could be coming to Inter. Well, that could you think down the road, down the road, sure. But uh, I think Atletico also have a uh, certain Jose Jimenez, who I think will be the next Diego Godin. Uh, that's uh, yeah. 22 years old, and I think they're trying to get on the pitch a little bit more too. So, um, but but yeah, uh, an interesting one, interesting one to speculate about there. Uh, Juventus, uh, nothing official about Aaron Ramsey yet, uh, possibly joining for free next summer. Richard and I hashed over that. Uh, but let me ask you on that one, Michael. Do you find that Ramsey could fit with Juve? It, it doesn't strike me as the most exciting move in the world, but they just seem to be stockpiling midfielders. You know, first it was Kadira a few years ago, Emre Can this year, you know, Ramsey obviously this summer. I mean, they're just they're just stockpiling extra parts to play in the midfield. Like, is he going to be a guy that starts – in a big Champions League game, I'm, I don't know, I don't know, I don't yeah. know that he has some giant impact in Juve where he, you know, he's the guy that pushes him over the top. It just seems like, you know, he's another depth guy to throw in their midfield rotation between all the different competitions they're always in. Mm. Uh, and then the last one of note, uh, as we have said on a couple of occasions here, Kevin Prince Boateng has left Serie A and is headed to Barcelona alone plus uh, a very, very cheap transfer fee. I believe one, it, was, it wasn't much, but, uh, uh, but, it, but uh, Kevin Prince Boateng, after having a very nice first half of the season with uh, the Nero Verde, uh, is off to the Blaugrana in Spain. Um, you know, but uh, Sassuolo looks like they're, they're picking up the pieces and getting it going. Uh, did this one? How, how surprised were you by this one, Richard? Kevin Prince Boateng has played for some of the biggest clubs in the world: Milan, Schalke, now Barcelona. It's it's crazy. I mean, he certainly has got the skill, right? He certainly got the skill. So we've seen that one that one goal he scored against Barcelona back in the Champions League. We'll never forget as Milanisti, right? But it's a temperament. He's not consistent, also. So I'm I'm just shocked by this move. I mean, I get it. for him. It's great. It's great. You're 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 you know you're twenty something years old. Um, you know, upper twenties, almost thirty. You know, you're going to Barcelona now. You're just there as a depth player, probably gonna be on the bench most of the time. You're living the life. Barcelona just scratches my head. Unless there were some injuries that I didn't know about, um, or they got some fear that you know Rakitic and Busquets are not gonna be able to play for a while. I don't know. I don't understand this move for them. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to you guys. It's weird, and I don't know how he'd fit. I don't know where where he would fit except for the bench. So, but I, I don't think I don't think uh, Kevin Prince Boateng minds it. No, he loves it. He says it's a dream move. Yeah. yeah oh, sure. he's he's got to be the happiest guy in the world. I I just hope someday we get the uh, Kevin Prince Boateng biography because I would just <laughs> that would be a great read. I mean, he's he's had you know great moments in his career, but then he's also kind of quit on a few teams. I mean, yeah. he left Milan, went to Schalke, and then basically kind of decided he didn't want to play anymore. Came back to Milan. He was at La- Las Palmas for a minute. I mean, he's been resurrected more times than Lazarus. 
just seems, <laughs> you know, he'll he'll vanish out of Barcelona one day and he'll pop up somewhere else and and do well again. He just keeps reappearing again and again. And like you said, he's still what twenty eight or twenty nine. He's going to play for a while. And finally, uh, just a fun one, uh, Udinese. But you know, if, if it if it wasn't proof enough that they uh, uh, they let Sampdoria ship in four against them, Udinese has decided they don't want to be any good defensively anymore. Sebastian De Maio uh, joining on loan from Bologna, thirty uh, one year old center back who is terrible and continues to find work uh, this time with Udinese. Uh, also added to that, Marvin Zegelar joining from Watford on loan. The Pozzos are moving guys from Watford to Udinese. Because uh, Stefano Okaka in, in, in addition, so some funny transfer stuff there that Udinese is doing. Uh, but uh, that's the transfer roundup. Quick look at Coppa Italia quarterfinals that are going to take midweek. Milan and Napoli, uh, because it was so much fun to watch them play to a nil-nil draw on Saturday, they're going to do it again on Tuesday. Um, and then uh, Wednesday we have Fiorentina, Roma, Atalanta, Juve, and Inter Lazio. Uh, eight of the nine top teams in Serie A. Uh, no disrespect to Sampdoria. Uh, still in this. Uh, any, uh, Michael, any quick predictions on any of these four games? Well, it seems to me like Napoli would really, really like to get themselves a trophy. So I think they're really gonna, they're gonna come at us. Yeah. This or Europa League or bust, uh, yeah. uh, you know, um, I kind of agree with that. I think Milan are going to are going to turn their roster a little bit over. I think they're going to give Pepe Reina a run out against his old team. I see that happening. I see Samu getting out there, uh, you know, with a handful of other changes. I don't, yeah, I think with, with Milan embroiled in a chance to finish top four, I don't know how seriously they take this anymore, but you know, Gattuso has also done really well in, you know, in these kind of these cup in this Coppa Italia, he got them all the way to the final last year and in kind of these one-off situations. So you never can tell, uh, I, I think uh, I'm going to pick the winners of these games. I, I think Napoli will beat us um, just because I think Milan will change this squad just enough, uh, you know, to give it away. I think Fiorentina will beat Roma uh, at the Frankie. I think they're playing really well right now. I like Inter to beat Lazio because Lazio can't beat anybody good, no matter who they put out there. Uh, and I think Juve will go to Atalanta and pull the upset. So I think your final four is going to be Napoli, Fiorentina, Juve, and Lazio. Richard, what say you? I mean, I'm sorry, Inter, not Lazio. So Napoli, Fiorentina, Juve, Inter. <laughs> okay. Um, I think actually Napoli's going to turn the roster over more than Milan will, so I'm, I'm going to say Milan wins the game. Uh, Fiorentina, Roma, I am going to go with... Ooh, I'm going to go Roma in this one. I don't know why I'm picking Roma, but I'm, I'm okay. going to pick them. Um, Atalanta, Juventus. Uh, uh, I'd love to say Atlanta would win, but I think Juventus, their B squad is better than most teams' A squads. Juventus are going to win that game. And then the the last one, uh, which is Inter, again, hosting Lazio. i got to pick a winner for this, this game. I guess I guess Inter. I guess Inter because Lazio can't beat anyone in the top six. So you're going to go Milan, Roma, Juve, Inter. I went Napoli, Fiorentina, Juve, Inter. Michael, what do you got? I'd definitely say Napoli. I'd definitely say Juve. Uh, the Roma game will be interesting. There's definitely going to be some goals in that game, especially if Fiorentina, you know, plays plays their A squad, which I think they will. That should be an interesting game. And what I imagine Inter's hosting Lazio. Yes, that that yeah. could be. I mean, yeah, Lazio can't seem to beat anybody at the top, but also Inter seems to be in a bit of a funk. So that might be an interesting game. That might be, and, and like you said, Frank. 
Gattuso has a way in these knockout games of finding a way to to survive in advance. And in one game, because at this point it is one game, right? Yeah. It's not too late until, yeah. the, until the semis. That, that that could be a very low, that could be a, a nil-nil to late uh, KG match. I just don't know that we would have anybody to put on to ne- necessarily, you know, change the match. But who knows, maybe Piatic starts, he comes off in the 75th minute, and Catroni, he just loves those Copa Italia games. So, I don't know. I just think with a big game at Roma on the horizon, I don't know how much stock Milan put in this, but we'll see. Well, uh, that is a huge game against Roma next weekend. Yep, yep. So, you know, I, you know, it might be one of those we're good to, so may cut his losses, but you never know. So uh, we'll we'll find out when we'll, – we'll, we'll know when they put the lineups out. Let's just say that. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, all right. Well, let's put a bow on this edition of Serie A Sit Down. And, Michael, we're going to give you the floor here to uh, – uh, you know, to let the uh, folks know where they can find you uh, on social media, uh, as well as maybe anything you want to plug. Well, first of all, I just want to say thanks for having, having me back on, guys. I mean, I just I just love the game, and I like writing about the game. And to be able to to come on different podcasts, especially yours, and chat with you guys is just an absolute blast. Um, you can find me at uh, Faso de Leone 15. We put up stuff almost every day. Probably, I think last year we put up about 200 posts, and we've got an excellent community that goes that goes back about 10 years, and we've got an excellent comment section. So if anybody's got some time, pop in and join us. We have a lot of fun over there, and you can always find me at AC Milan Michael on Twitter. Awesome, awesome, and uh, you know, thank you. And uh, you came in last minute. We we had we were we had Ken lined up again, and uh, ended up Ken ended up without a voice. Over the weekend, getting sick. Uh, so from uh, from uh, from the far from Vesuvius podcast with Rafa, uh, you know, and uh, Ken Rafa, we're going to get you on soon. Uh, let's not uh, let's not give up on this. So you know, we we thrust you into this last minute. We certainly appreciate you joining us. Oh so, no, I, I greatly appreciate the invite. You bet, you bet, Richard. How about you? Uh, you can find me at r underscore k h a r m a n, and I'm gonna be putting out a couple. I put out a, a shackle piece last week. I'll probably do another couple this week for different um, different uh, locations. So, yeah, when they come out, uh, I'll retweet them, and you can see, you can take a look if you like. But uh, yeah, as far as Syria goes, I'm not writing anything at the moment. Just uh, enjoying lots of calcio. Yeah, definitely. Just sit back and enjoy it. That's what that's what I'm doing, and I'm at fpc underscore twenty one on Twitter. Uh, at City, I sit down on Twitter or Instagram is where you can find us, uh, you know, for listening, which you're already doing. But if you uh, you want to spread the word, we are on iTunes. We have our own channel there. We have our own channel on SoundCloud. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on Spotify. Uh, we post videos on YouTube, uh, namely our top five goals of the week. Um, so uh, plenty of ways where you can find us, connect with us, reach out with us. So uh, please go ahead and do that. Uh, again, uh, special thanks to Michael Lisi. Uh, for joining us on uh, this edition of the Serie A sit-down. For Richard, I'm Frank, and as always, make sure you're telling your paisans about us. Ciao. (laughs) 